This is Kanzenju, the podcast episode 439 for the week of April 8th, 2018. What's up, everyone? Welcome to an extravaganza of an episode here at Kanzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kanzenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. I'm not going to take up too much of your time here at the top of the show because we get a big one for you. This is, I suppose you could say, the big one, trademark, copyright, registered. Uh, this is our Universe Survival Arc review from the Dragon Ball Super Television series. It's over. We've gathered together some folks to talk about it. Uh, coming up shortly, you're going to hear myself. My name is Mike, sometimes Vegito EX. Please, just call me Mike. Uh, you're going to hear from me. You're going to hear from Chris. You may know him as Kerberfer. You're going to hear from Scott. You may know him as Kaiser Neko. And you're going to hear from AJ, who you, you may know as AJ. I guess anime AJ here and there. Uh, we're going to talk for a few hours about the arc. And then after that, we're going to have a little bit extra stuff with myself and then Julian here from Konzenshu. We had so many questions on Twitter that we just didn't get to and didn't feel uh, really incorporated to the rest of the discussion. So felt like uh, adding a little extra. And then, then I get bonus stuff that Chris doesn't have on his channel. So <laughs> Chris and I effectively co-host these arc reviews. And we've been doing this since uh, the beginning of the Dragon Ball Super TV series. And we're bringing it to a close here. That's it. So I'm just going to transition right into our topic for the week the universe survival arc you're gonna hear all that you're gonna hear julian a little bit after that and i'll hit you on the flip of the flip side after that and we'll wrap it up and call it a day so enjoy come on and listen to us talk about the newest story arc kaiser nico hey Vegito, hey exna boy it's on the tournament of power it might end up being three hours let's not delay hey there's much to say hey. on what we hated and enjoyed this is a gigantic curb log. this is a cons and you podcast this is a dragon ball super discussion on the last arc of the show. My God, what a year and a half it's been. Uh, here we are. It is, it's April 2018, and uh, we are hot off the heels only a couple weeks back or so, depending on whenever this releases, uh, probably not from too long, after the last episode of Dragon Ball Super has uh, just aired over in Japan, and of course, uh, all the folks have been watching it online via various places. And uh, this is the final installment of the long series over the course of the last, I guess, three, uh, two, three, four years now. We've been doing uh, discussions on the various overarching story arcs slash sagas <laughs> of, uh, of this show. And uh, this, of course, is on the, I don't even know how many episodes in total, the Tournament of Power arc uh, that has been going on for well over a year now. Uh, this is a huge deal. This has been long awaited. Uh, I'm very happy to be joined by a whole bunch of wonderful folks. We have uh, four, four people in total here this time, uh, including uh, a newcomer as well that I'm, I'm very happy to be joined by. Uh, so before we get into the actual meat, and dear God, there's going to be a lot. This is going to be an incredibly, incredibly long, possibly record-breaking discussion uh, in terms of just time in and of itself. Uh, quick introductions. Uh, first of all, I am uh, probably the, the least to do directly with the Dragon Ball fandom, but my name is Chris Neosi. You probably know me better as Kerberfer around these parts. Uh, these discussions tend to go, uh, they started with, I guess, my initiation on my, uh, my channel, uh, these uh, Kerblog anime discussions. 
an animator, voice actor, now game developer, too many things. Uh, I am a huge Dragon Ball freak. I've been following the series for many, many years, and I've learned quite a bit about uh, the fr- this franchise as a, as a whole, uh, thanks to uh, all of these guys, actually, that, have, that are joining me today. And uh, yeah, so why don't you guys please do the honors? I guess uh, I will go first. My name is Mike. Uh, you may see me around online as Vegito EX. I'm one of the four dudes that runs a website called Kanzenshu, www.kanzenshu.com. Dot com. Uh, we are a website that dates back to 2012, except that's not entirely true. We are a website that dates back to 1998 when I started Vegito EX's Ultimate DBZ Links page on my two megs of AOL web space. Uh, it's been a long journey since then. I'm still around, still kicking, and here I am, uh, happy to join these folks here to chat about Dragon Ball Super, which is now come to a close. I remember Planet Amic. <laughs> Does everyone else remember Planet Fuck Amic? you, Scott. I, I do. No. <laughs> I do. Uh, the good old days. Hi there. Uh, I'm Scott Ferricks, or Kaiser Neko from Team Four Star, a YouTube channel that does a little show called Dragon Ball Z Abridged. Uh, you can find it at youtube.com slash Team Four Star, all one word. Uh, and yeah, I've been in the community for a while. We've been doing the show since 2008, if I'm correct. And yeah, I'm super excited to be here and talk about Dragon Ball Super, specifically a very, very long arc. And, uh, and I'd like to say real quick before our last guest introduces himself, uh, I want to give him some major credit because uh, as, his, as his Twitter uh, profile kind of describes reluctant Dragon Ball tuber, he's uh, <laughs> become quite relevant in this last year in particular, uh, especially because of this arc and has done some really, really extensive, awesome uh, videos covering things. But uh, yeah, please welcome. Go pl- introduce yourself, sir. Thank you. My head is nice and inflated now. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> we gotta bring him back down. Uh, okay. Oh dear. Uh, Hello, I am uh, AJ, otherwise known as, I guess, Anime AJ Online. I pretty much cover all kinds of stuff to do with Dragon Ball's production, primarily the animation, uh, all of my YouTube channel. It kind of began on Mike's forums, the Kanzenshu forums, and then from there I kind of pushed it off into YouTube, which is something I used to do primarily uh, with video games. I used to be a video games journalist and then did YouTube. And then, yeah, here I am doing anime and talking about Dragon Ball with three lovely people. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and this was this was quite a feat of arranging. We were talking off mic a second ago about uh, four different time zones that we're all individually in and aligning these together. Uh, so I want to thank each of you guys for making yourselves available for this probably, as I said with my <laughs> stupid intro, probably three hours of, of discussion touching this thing because there's so much to talk about. I, I can't believe already it was, I guess, January of, uh, of 2017, like over a year ago now, we did the uh, Goku Black slash Future Trunks slash Zamasu arc discussion. My God, so many episodes, so many developments in the show, out of the show, behind the scenes. Uh, Mike, please start because I wouldn't even know where to begin on this now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So I will now take control of uh, what is not truly your core blog. It is actually my podcast of episode. Course. I now re- Gain control. Of course. Go ahead. Take the reins. <laughs> yeah, man. So it was, uh, it's been over a year at this point, the universe survival arc. Uh, there, there's so much to get into. And as you were just saying, we don't actually know how long this recording is going to be. We've allotted ourselves a certain time that we will not say here because we don't want to jinx anything. As I like to say a lot on my own show, which this is my own show, so I guess I'm saying the same thing I usually do. If we do not say something, that is not necessarily because we forgot to say something. It's simply because we don't have 
18 hours to record a podcast. Yeah. We probably could go forever. Uh, but if you think there's something that was super relevant that we missed, of course, we would love to hear from you. And uh, maybe we'll all try to address certain little specific individual things. But we're going to try and talk about uh, the most important things throughout the entire arc from all aspects. Yes, that's going to be animation. That's going to be music. That's going to be writing. It's going to be direction uh, as much as we can cover. And that's why we have such a variety of people here uh, with different backgrounds on all sorts of different things. So uh, why don't we start literally at the beginning of the arc? AJ, I'm going to start with you here a little bit. Can you tell us about the production at the start of this arc? Because things have changed a little bit. You and I talked a little bit uh, on the show about kind of like this effective soft reboot of Dragon Ball Super. And it, it seemed in many ways similar to what happened with the Boo arc in Dragon Ball Z, where we get a new opening theme. We get like a, this entire new base of um, music. We get uh, we're starting to like be in heavy Yamamuro <laughs> territory at that point. Uh, there's lots of things going on. Dragon Ball Super kind of takes that and ramps that up to a new level. So tell me <laughs> the big question for for you here is how many directors have we gone through by the time we get to the universe survival arc god yes yeah. so we had uh kimitoshi chioka for the retellings as one we came in with uh moro hatano for the future trunks arc two then we had kohei hatano for the little filler bit between the uh end of the future trunks arc and the start of this arc and then that brought about two new series directors, Tatsuya Nagamine and Ryota Nakamura, bringing us to a total of five series directors in the space of, what, 77 episodes? Yeah. Pretty pretty crazy. And for comparison, I mean, One Piece has like 800 episodes now and also has had like five series directors. So, I, I mean, this may have been intentional. Maybe Toei wanted a different feel for each arc, or maybe, you know, Super was the crazy clusterfuck that we keep hearing about and people <laughs> didn't want to work on the show. It's, it's one of the two. I'm sure. Uh, I'll let you make up your mind there. Well, out of curiosity, compared to like the original run of uh, Dragon Ball and then Z and then GT, kind of all in a row back in the day, like how many? Like just because I assume you seem to have such encyclopedic knowledge about this stuff. Like, do you recall how many directors were spread across those series? So I want to say off the top of my head, you had I think one series director. I can't remember his name. Uh, maybe Mike will know, but for for Dragon Ball, I think you had one, and then they changed that up. I think for Dragon Ball Z. Okay. And then, and then they definitely changed it up for uh, GT. I've forgotten the guy's name. I think it was something Ogawa. Um, he was pretty big into like space and mechy stuff, which I think says a lot about GT's yeah, aesthetic yeah, and what they went with there. Um, if, if I remember correctly, they actually changed series directors for the original Dragon Ball at uh, the. I'm going to call it the Piccolo Junior arc. It's actually the World Tournament, but yeah, uh, they they changed they changed directors at that point. Yeah, you're probably right. I feel I feel like I remember there was like a a, a clash of basically tone that that was like I think they had the guy from Doctor Slump. Did they? I I, I want to say that. Yeah, and that then would make changed sense. It. The guy who worked on Z took over for uh, when Piccolo Junior basically showed up. Yeah, there's a lot of names in there. You have like Daisuke Nishio, and then uh, AJ, as you were talking about, as we get into GT, we have uh, the series director, Osamu Kasai. And then on the series organization, we have Ayamatsui, who you may know from some uh, other related ancillary Dragon Ball stuff. So, I mean, there, there were changes, but there weren't five changes within the same entity. And this is worth bringing up, too, I think in particular, because unlike in the case of the, at least with Dragon Ball and Z, uh, where there's, it's still working off of basically what is uh, a, a guide line from the original manga story. In this case, the entirety, much like with how probably GT worked, 
uh, the entirety of this is going off of like we're building this first and foremost for the animation, uh, and the manga was the secondary thing where Toyotaro seems to be kind of uh, going about his own liberties and, and all that. But uh, well, so, I mean know. that that's an entire separate conversation at this point because when the the manga started, it was called a comicalization. Those, those were their own words, yeah. uh, and it was really following the exact same story. And then as we got to the universe six versus seven tournament, that was when it got ahead again and then started doing things entirely different and that continued a little bit into the trunks arc and then at the very end it was basically entirely different yeah and the universe survival arc is basically entirely different but i, I that that is important to say is like there is this base of notes from akira toriyama's like here is the raw outline of who the members are who's getting thrown out at what point here are like key little things to include that is then delivered to Shueisha and Toei for them to develop a television series. Like he's not writing the entire script as he inadvertently did for things like Resurrection F. Yeah. Uh, and they, they do come back to him for thoughts and uh, additional comments and redirection on things. We'll get to some of that as we get kind of toward the end of our discussion uh, about this arc. But Toriyama is involved, but it's in a kind of like a, uh, a, a visionary kind of role like here here are my ideas here go make this thing and that's the kind of role he seems most comfortable in these days which is i don't want to illustrate and write the entire story i don't have it in me anymore and can you blame the guy something <laughs> there's, there's there's a lot of revisionist history i like to talk about and the one that's real hot for me lately is toriyama was already one of the richest people in japan after Dr. Slump, before Dragon Ball ever existed. He didn't need to even create Dragon Ball if he didn't want to. He could have hung it all up, just like, that's it, I'm a peace out, folks. But he didn't. He continued onward from there. So he's very comfortable in this role. And as we hear in certain comments, though, sometimes he's not always happy with the execution, and he gets a little more involved. And we had some of that in the universe survival arc. So that's kind of how we're going into this arc, is he did a similar thing with the uh, the previous arcs, uh, Trunks arc into the universe survival arc, he's there in the background. He's guiding things, but ultimately, what we're talking about is what Toei constructed as a television series. A couple little last things as we talk about the production here before we get into the recruitment episodes. Uh, AJ, again, something you and I had talked about previously. Uh, the new filters they were doing on the visuals here in this arc. You saw it in the opening theme as soon as the new arc started. Uh, lots of big, bold lines. Lots of different visual styles uh, depending on the planet and the realm that you're in. Uh, it was really interesting, though. I was reflecting on this. The very last episode of the series, that's when we finally came away from the tournament and got back to Earth. I was like, oh, right. They actually had different visual styles for different places. I was so used to the tournament that uh, it felt so different from when you and I first talked about this arc and we were all over the place. I got so used to it looking a certain way that when we came back out of that, it was, oh, right. This is what they're doing. It was definitely a massive change. I think, obviously, we've, we've spoken about all the different series directors that there have been. Uh, I think this was the first arc where you really felt the presence of the series director. There actually felt like there was someone who had a creative vision who was actually getting able, who was actually able to put that uh, into practice, which we, we just really hadn't seen before. I mean, obviously, the future Trunks arc, just by virtue of its location, you know, felt different. But this was very much an intentional, okay, here's there's new filters, there's new line work. Um, you know, we're, we're really creating atmosphere with different places. We're playing with, uh, you know, camera techniques. Now we've got depth of field. This feels like a big overhaul of the series. Uh, 
Um, and, and yeah, that goes obviously beyond just these filters into the actual animation side of things that I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later. We will, yeah. There's a lot to go into there. We'll come back around to it. Um, so now I want to talk with Chris and Scott a little bit because uh, music is, is such an important part of Dragon Ball. Chris, you and I, uh, we did a podcast episode uh, about the music in Dragon Ball. We've done things like core themes in Dragon Ball. Um, the thing we talked about specifically was like, what is the identity of Dragon Ball through its music? And one of the big sticking points we had with Super early on is that the theme song wasn't being incorporated into the show in any way. It shows that's a dynamic. Uh, curious how that came back around again in the later arc. Uh, but something that a lot of people loved and I, I think <laughs> really vindicates what you and I were talking about is Limit Break Survivor was adapted into like at least three different instrumental versions that were played relatively often during uh this arc and and that really lent it a sense of identity as like yes this is dragon ball super and this is the arc uh did you feel that way chris 100 I, I mean anybody who also knows my channel i will know my love for limit break survivor absolutely and uh, yeah, it was exactly as you said, like, you know, my, I was a defender for a little bit of uh, Chozetsu Dynamic here and there, uh, but... I think the song was fine, but it just wasn't backed up by anything. No, and, and honestly, like, even even in comparison to just, like, the excitement and just, like, energy of Limit Break Survivor, honestly, I look back at it now, because, of course, I'm watching the, uh, the, the Future Trunks arc again with the English dub airing on Toonami at the moment, and uh, when I see her, I'm just like, oh, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not the new one. <laughs> <laughs> you're not that. And, you're uh, not the new hotness. But no, I, as soon as the first episode of this arc began, and I remember like immediately hearing uh, some of those arrangements of that composition, and of course the new episode title. It was as you kind of described earlier, much like uh, the rebranding of the Boo arc, where once we got a power came in, and there were and uh, Bokutachi wa Tenchidata as well, uh, and we got all these different arrangements of the opening and ending as constant BGM, which and there's such great like like legit really really good catchy compositions For it, sure, it yeah. certainly lent itself to i think even just along with the aesthetics of talking about the animation a second ago where i think the the visuals uh the visual game was upped on the show in general for this arc as was the music along with and i think that the biggest factor was because of particularly the opening we had multiple endings uh, some of which were really cool um, and of course, later on, there was a certain other song that I'm going to be, you know, salivating over that, uh, I was, was a big sad. We will get thing. to that for sure. <laughs> no yeah. one talk about ultimate battle yet. Nah, we will get to it. Nah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was very satisfying. I love the song. It's definitely gone down as one of my big favorites for just Dragon Ball in general. And it was, it was a nice kind of guiding light across the, uh, the, the good feels of this arc in general, I would say. Yeah. Well then Scott, Norihito Sumitomo's score for the universe survival arc in general, I would say up to his game but also went in a different yet consistent direction for this arc it was very much a jazzy score scott as someone who like me <laughs> loves shinsuke kikuchi's score and and wasn't getting that in a lot of modern dragon ball productions i think you and i align uh, a lot but you also loved uh kenji yamamoto's stuff from time to time uh, throughout dragon ball kai and especially in the older days what did sumitomo's score in this arc do for you well, uh, first of all, I want to—I just want to correct something you said earlier. Uh, there are actually seven different versions, not including 
like the actual song yeah. of Limit Break Survivor. <laughs> there are seven of them. <laughs> so yeah, as I'm one of the biggest Shinsuke Kikuchi like promoters out there when it comes to like a fan base that kind of grew up simultaneously with the dub and the sub. I actually saw the, the Busaga dubbed first while I saw everything else in Japanese. So by the time I got to like the end of it, I was pretty familiar with a lot of different scores. Um, Shins- Shinsuke Kikuchi is... Definitely my guy. Like, yeah, if I could... Uh, modernizing him would be difficult, but God, I'd love to see his take um, on... Excuse you know. me, I, I think it was modernized perfectly fine in Dragon Ball Fusions, the greatest Dragon Ball musical score <laughs> to come since... As somebody who used that in our Broly, uh, I, I, have to, I, I have to not disagree. Kenji Yamamoto was also one of those guys who... When he was on for me, he was really on. He had some very creative arrangements that he stole from other people. And so I... Coming into Sumitomo, I wasn't even sure what to think because when when they were announced as like, oh yeah, this is the new composer for Dragon Ball, I was uh, uncertain. Yeah, G- considering his prior work, he's more electronic than any of the other composers before him. And honestly, his work up until this point has been lackluster. It wasn't until we got into uh, Goku Black that I actually started to hear stuff from him that, you know, wasn't just tolerable that I could like, oh, hey, I love this part. Like the the thing that he used for Zamas uh, and, uh, you know, the they, they ended up calling it uh, Merge Zamas's theme or whatever in the actual soundtrack. It was used first when they introduced Goku Black. And I thought that is that is different. It, it's, it's orchestral. It's got something I can remember to it. And it's not just kind of background noise. It took until that point till we got something actually I thought was anything memorable from him. And then this arc hit, and the first thing I recognized was that Sumitomo was taking a very different direction. Um, and if I had to be honest, it reminded me of some of uh, Yamamoto's jazzier rock stuff. For from, sure. Like, the, the, uh, during the Trio to Dangers, there was at least three new songs that would become a staple of the tournament introduced in that little mini arc. And it is... Uh, they're kind of spectacular in comparison to his old stuff. As, as a guy who absolutely hated Sumitomo up up until Goku Black, I'm actually very happy to say that at least half the score here is a tremendous step up. Well, here's my question for you then. Is it just in contrast to what came before? Like, oh, thank you. It's so good. Or is it genuinely good? I think some of it's genuinely good. Okay. I think some of it, I think some of it uh, matches a lot of the more modern uh, idea of Dragon Ball. And that's okay. You know, things have to evolve. Things have to change. You know, every every once in a while, he even manages to capture some of the older spirit in there. I do agree um, with you. But funny enough, it's when he does stuff like that, that it comes off like, and if I, and this is going to be sound like such a, such a backhanded thing for me to say, I feel like, oh, cool. This is something more original or, or this is something more in the uh, spirit of the original it's also more boring than your like than uh, than his like more creative mm. newer stuff. Yeah, like it's it's less it's not a it's unoffensive to me, and it's at that point where I'm like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this because I think it's Sumitomo not in his element when he does stuff like mm. that. Like if I if if I had to be like if I had to put up a card, I'd say like I'm sorry. I think Sumitomo was ill fit for Dragon Ball from the start, and even with all of the uh, ev- like the evolution of his style and the time he's had to prepare, I still don't think he was well suited to the series. But that being said, there are still a lot of good tracks in here, and there is still a lot of stuff that's that is Dragon Ball. But when I say half the score is a big step up, that's a 
It's a pretty damning condemnation, actually. Yeah. yeah. I would like to give one more thought, actually, just while we're on that topic. I want to give okay. a, a brief little shout out. And I, I unfortunately still don't know what the official title of this track is, but uh, I gave it quite a bit of praise when we did our What Defines Dragon Ball Music uh, podcast topic a while back. Is mm-hmm. uh, the track that plays, or it was originally in the Kai Final Chapters episodes, uh, particularly when Goku finishes off Boo. Uh, that track was used very, very well throughout this arc in particular, and, and bits and pieces throughout the show too, but I'm a huge fan of that one, and even with my similar complaints to his stuff, that was one that made me, I, I guess, have a glimmer of hope that he could get better, as, as Scott has, has aptly described. So uh, that, that was a big favorite of mine. But no, overall, I agree. I think he did a much better job this time around. And, uh, you know, if he stays around, I, I wouldn't mind. Well, let's keep going then. As, as I mentioned earlier, we have a, a kind of like a, an arc before an arc. We have exhibition. We have recruitment before we even get to the actual tournament itself. Initially, I was considering, man, do we split this podcast into two? We could do an entire episode about the exhibition and the recruitment. We could do an entire episode about the tournament. But it really is all one big arc and they do blend into each other so much let's talk about the exhibition at least a little bit uh, because there were some good fights in there we got to learn about some of the other universes this is where we're really introduced to all the different gods and how everyone is looking at this from all these different perspectives let's talk about boo because boo was the highlight of mm. the exhibition uh, arc. Yep. okay so i won't even talk about frieza at all until we have to touch on that ball of wax but so boo is a weird character in general for this show because basically the series proper ended almost immediately after he became what could be considered a good guy. Right. The, the you know, Dragon Ball proper winds up uh, and he's still alive, which is weird and cool. And everyone was like, and, you know, ever since Dragon Ball took up again, people kind of want to see, hey, so what is Boo's deal? He's, he's, he's a vastly different character from anyone else in the series, from his composition to his to his personality. It's Yeah, like, we know he's a super strong dude. He's got all these different physical aspects to him that we saw a little bit here, where, like, you can punch a hole through him, and that kind of thing doesn't matter to this kind of character. Yeah, it, it's his personality, again, is also... A, a child. He's this big child who does not care much about anything beyond his own sphere of influence. And and didn't that work so well here where they're like, hey, hey, you you go do this. They're, they're like bad and stuff and you're going to have lots of fun. I, you know, it's it's kind of funny. Watching him get used in the fighter storyline was really it was very humorous. Watching him get to interact with other characters just in fighters, like as a small shout out, that that was good stuff because Super absolutely refuses to do that. <laughs> Fight uh, Super Super yeah. at every turn has introduced Boo as a component and then immediately gotten rid of him. Yeah, and and the thing is too, like with with the the Universe Six uh, versus like tournament thing, it, the gag really made me laugh, so I bought it. I was really sad that it happened basically again. And, and this that's time why around. I think it was important for him to be used this way in the exhibition. If that was the grand plan, which it sounds like it was the entire Precisely. time. Precisely. So Precisely. I, I think they, they really needed to yeah. they, to give him that you are awesome, Boo, and you can do super cool things for us. All right, you need to go sit in the sidelines now. Yeah. That's what that entire that's what yeah. the entire exhibition tournament, besides just kind of uh setting us up for uh, you know, the larger concept of, hey, there are other universes, here's a little bit of an introduction to that idea, some other some of the other characters, Universe Nine, which is almost as soon as we get into the actual tournament, will be basically <laughs> goodbye. Right. Um, Isn't that crazy? It's like, all right, here's who you're gonna fight, and they are way strong, but they are 
they're not even nearly the strongest you're going to come up against. I also love the fact that they introduced the first <laughs> the first universe to go and the last universe to go um right there in, in that exhibition. It's it's a it was actually a very creative move. I'm, I I think that was really clever of them. Um and yeah, this I actually really liked the exhibition arc. Like, a lot. Oh, I'm with you there, definitely. There are so many aspects of this this exhibition fight that I feel like we're missing from the actual tournament itself. And I guess once we start touching on the individual battles, that'll uh, my thoughts on that will become a bit clearer, specifically with Lavender's Poison, I think. Let's talk about them, because we have these these three brothers, Trio Z-Dangers, Trio Z-Dangers. <laughs> Trio Z-Dangers. We're, we're going to get to what happened to the production and who knew what and what was being changed last minute. So much stuff to talk about there. Even in the exhibition with regard to Topo and Chirin, I, I guess you could say right there. But uh, we, we got really cool characterization. Like this character does this thing and this character does this thing. And this is this universe's deal. It, I, I feel like they were really setting up this larger world pretty damn well here. It reminded me of a point I think I made, uh, and, and actually as general note to everybody, I'm sure we're going to repeat things that we'd said on some of the previous art discussions, so apologies for regurgitating information. Uh, I, I think I'd mentioned this about also the Universe 6 versus 7 uh, tournament and that. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the the, the more like kind of gimmicky yes, battles yes. of the Dragon Ball era tournaments, the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd Budokais. And uh, I think that using the uh, Team First Star, uh, deal with it, Scott, sorry, uh, guys and their gimmicky powers was a lot of fun and gave me very very similar vibes to that too, and uh, and selecting you know which, which they used for each of them with Boo, Goku, and Gohan uh, made for just really intelligent, like different kind of more thought provoking kind of fights that we hadn't really been getting. Like you know, although there were some really well animated and cool fights in the Zamasu stuff, yeah. uh, especially towards the end, um, I feel like there there wasn't a whole lot in terms of like strategy or intrigue. It was just like oh, and then he hits the guy, and then da da da, whatever. So so kind of teasing us with that in the beginning, and then followed by the Topo fight was, uh, I thought, very, very cool. Uh, sadly, of course, once they use the Trio to Dangers right here, uh, you know, they, their, uh, their screen time in the actual tournament was... And, and maybe, again, I don't want to talk about the manga too much, but maybe that's one of the reasons why they got rid of them in the manga so fast is, I mean, to mirror, yes, the anime, but like we've seen them twice already. So do you want to bore your readership again that way? But I, I love how you phrase that about how much more tactical and, and there was strategy in these fights. And we would see some of that, but I feel like they would talk more about strategy than they would actually use strategy and the tournament proper later on like we actually saw on display here that was the big thing for me about this like i absolutely love that this is just more than what i mean what you just said that it's more than just punching people really hard like lavender using poison and goku be, uh, gohan being blind is just that's that's great and i, I love that even though i mean it, it does ultimately boil down to being punched really hard at the end and okay whatever right. <laughs> you, you know we, we got there in the end it's dragon ball you know we know what to expect but i kind of like that there's at least a little bit of drama that there's something to think about beyond just is this guy stronger than this guy and i don't think we really saw much of that like you said in the tournament of power aside from maybe like that that sniper episode i think it was like 106 that just that general feeling of strategy across all of these fights was just there and it was wonderful i really really wanted more of that it did actually get me very excited for what was to come because when I heard about a battle royale, the one of the first concerns that came up was, okay, so is this going to literally just be a bunch of Fito Fito? Or are we <laughs> going to get some real legitimate 
abilities because Dragon Ball, as 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 Chris and Mike have said earlier, yeah, this felt like classic Dragon Ball in a lot of ways, and I dug heavily on that. And with the combination of Sumitomo's score kicking up, like I, I don't know, there was a part of me that was super excited. And uh, Scott, uh, uh, I'm I'm sorry, I believe you mean Waku Waku. Ah, ah, ah damn you! <laughs> oh, okay. uh, Get out, just get out. Well, also talking about new characters as well, and a little tease regarding the manga, of course, comparatively to this, we had the exhibition match uh, showing off the powers of the many, many uh, destruction gods from the other universes as well, including the ones that uh, whose universes I don't believe are even going to be entering. Uh, this was, of course, a huge deal. Uh, for those of you who don't know, actually, uh, and, and Mike can probably speak more to this, uh, these characters were co-designed between uh, Toriyama himself oh, yeah. and Toyotaro, uh, all of the the new uh, destruction gods, uh, which all very unique, cool kind of designs. As I expected, some got more of a spotlight than others, and most of them were there just to kind of be like to decorate the universe and kind of show it in that way, which is perfectly fine because I wasn't expecting like you know development for every single one of them. But but certainly the uh, the imposing shots of like all of these various gods and deities and figureheads of these different universes all kind of imposingly looking over really helped to lend to the atmosphere of and, and of course you know Zeno kind of overseeing them all with the Grand Priest and everything. Thing. Just setting everything up at the beginning with this arc and showing the severity of this. I love that because they are obviously in deference to Zeno, but they hold such a high position that they literally can look down over everyone. But I do want to touch on what you mentioned there. So uh, the 12 gods of destruction, they were co-designed. Uh, it was kind of split evenly into thirds where a, a third were designed independently by Akira Toriyama. A third were designed independently by Toyota. Again, Toyotaro is the author slash illustrator, primarily illustrator. I don't know how you want to break down that role. That The manga is such a, a unique beast at this point. He does the Dragon Ball Super manga that runs monthly in Shueisha's magazine called V-Jump in Japan. It is their multimedia-focused magazine. Uh, it is primarily a promotional magazine that other companies, let's say, pay to have spotlight features in. <laughs> uh, so that runs there. Uh, but Toyotaro has been really... Toriyama's taken him under his wing, so Toyotaro got to design independently some of the Gods of Destruction, and then the other third were co-designed by Toriyama and Toyotaro. Um, and, and that's what made this very different was... It wasn't just that Toyotaro was doing the Dragon Ball Super manga. It was... This was really shifting things where all these different aspects of production were not just reflecting each other, but influencing each other back and forth. And that was unique, really, for this arc. It started previous to this, but it was truly unique and new for this arc. Yeah, he ended up with a credit in the opening, I think, finally. The last thing I'd like to say about the uh, exhibition arc, if we're about to move on, uh, it's very interesting to me that GNN was switched after Topo. Yeah, hold on to that, because there's so much more to gotcha. talk about with those gotcha. two characters. It's crazy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's happening yeah. with this show. <laughs> <laughs> so something that I really, really liked about the exhibition arc that I thought was going to be explored a lot deeper when we went through all this recruitment and maybe throughout the tournament of tournament of power is that this whole thing as far as they're concerned is goku's whole deal he wanted this tournament you know everything's going on um, they're so angry <laughs> yeah and like we have this whole thing with topo and he's talking like oh you know you're evil this isn't justice and all this kind of thing and it and it kind of felt like they were maybe going to go somewhere with that like this whole different
different perspective, you know, because we always see everything from Universe 7's view. And right. it seemed like, we okay, now we're finally seeing, you know, this other universe that isn't really bad. We, you know, these are heroes. They haven't done anything wrong. And now we're seeing that actually we've kind of messed things up for a lot of people here. Um, and I mean, obviously, this was going to happen anyway, as far as we were told at the time. Um, but yeah, they seemed, they seemed like there was going to be something there. And it, and it didn't really go anywhere. I was wondering what you guys thought about that. Well, this is where we start getting into what is Goku's character. And we got so much of that. I ain't no hero kind of thing. And I, I just have a one track mind. Uh, and I think that really, again, I hate to say this, really validated. It really vindicated a lot of stuff that some of us in particular have been saying for many, many years, if not many, many decades at this point, <laughs> that Goku is Goku. And depending on the version of the show you may have seen, that might not be the Goku that we're talking about. And I feel like the universe survival arc from the beginning was really doubling down on, no, this is actually Goku, guys. Yeah, Super in general has really focused uh, on that aspect of the character. Actually, to his detriment and some of its arcs, I feel like actually in the Goku Black arc, it was, it was some of the worst where they weren't just drawing him as simple-minded, but plan out idiotic, and that was distracting. But here, here we definitely see a little bit more focused, a, a, a bit more of a focused character from Goku, and I think it was to the benefit. Um, like, because as as you said before, both Toei Animation uh, and the dub have gone a long way to kind of give maybe an you know not so accurate depiction of Toriyama's character for Goku. Well, and, and I will say, okay, f first of all, I want to hold my actual thoughts for you know this all being because yeah, of that's Goku's, a later point. You know, irresponsibility. I actually kind of want to I want to save that for some stuff that comes up later during the actual uh, tournament section. But I will say actually. Uh, while your point is completely fair, Mike, I think that actually things with the American fandom have changed very drastically. And Scott, you and I, I think, have even yeah. had kind of separate talks about this just like on our own about how actually it's become quite the opposite where now everybody is so hyper aware of the fact that Goku is that this is Goku's yeah. real personality. He's not the, you know, early 2000s Funimation. We're trying to make him Superman kind of version. The dub staff have known that for years. Kai has done the, the Kai dub has done wonders for getting people educated on it. And people just watching Super and not waiting yeah. for the dub episodes in general, uh, you know, it was since the, the legal release on Crunchyroll in particular. I think everybody generally is on the same page about what Goku is really like to the point where I would even say, and that this is also maybe a separate topic that I don't, I don't want to harp on too much, but I would even say to the point where I think people are a little too like, yeah, Goku sucks. He's the worst. He's a terrible person. Da, da, da. You know, that, and that, that's a whole nother thing. But in general, what I'm saying by that is I think people understand that, yeah, Goku cares about fighting. He's not an altruistic hero. He is not allied a good nightmare to you. He is, I am Goku. I am a Super Saiyan. Right. I love fighting the Two end. points on that, and we, we are moving on. So, point number one on that, uh, I know, AJ, you're listening to this as well, but I, I urge everyone to check out All Systems Goku, which uh, Giant Bomb is doing. Jeff Gersman, Dan Riker are going through Dragon Ball Kai, and I, I have a lot of thoughts in retrospect on the dub script of Dragon Ball Kai that it didn't go as far as it needed to but to hear them talk about the show knowing that they're watching the dub they are actually catching on to so much correct <laughs> interpretation of the of the characters yeah I think, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I think yeah. it did enough all right so then point number two yeah uh one thing that mm -hmm. my 
good friend, Julian, who works with me on Consensu, paid $100 for a specific issue of Wired magazine from, I think it was January 1997, came out in 1996, where Akira Toriyama talks about how there is poison within Goku. And that was a, a wonderful excerpt and a wonderful quote. And I think... One of the problems that we deal with on Konzenshu is that when we get around to two decades later translating old material, a lot of people latch onto that as if it is new information, and that's tough for us to navigate. I don't think we always do the best job in providing the the appropriate context for that. I think coincidentally when we translated that as we headed into dragon ball super uh there is that as you were saying no man goku is a shitty character <laughs> like let, let's pull it back a little bit <laughs> there's a lot more a lot more nuance yeah, yeah, to that yeah. however <laughs> in this arc of dragon ball super we definitely have that nah, i'm goku i just want to fight man let's talk about the recruitment at least a little bit because it is a good span of episodes it's roughly episodes 83 to 95 like that's a good span of episodes uh aj maybe touch on how this is probably really good stalling time for them so i thought this would be good stalling time and then they decided that we were going to have a fight basically every single episode and it somehow <laughs> know, held right? together and was really really good um i think the stalling time was mostly and i think this is what we have to thank really for the big massive increase in production quality in this arc is that for that little filler in between whatever you want to call it between future trunks and this new arc it was just outsourcing 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 very low action very low action over and over and over again and i think that really really helped them get ahead and i think in general the planning seemed to get so much better and i know we recently had that interview with uh ryota nakamura one of the series directors who said that you know he really went out of his way to uh to try and pull that off so i think i think that's why that happened and i think that's why even the um even the exhibition matches were really really strong especially episode 79 and 80 were very very impressive yeah i mean i, I was pretty happy with basically every single bit of action within this section of the arc, for sure. Yeah, I was really surprised to see a huge step up in terms of not only the art and animation, but also the creativity of the fights, the choreography. And, you know, there a lot of people will make a lot of uh, fuss and noise about power levels and scaling like that in terms of Goku versus everybody, but I think it's just as simple as, hey, he's testing them. Give it up. Just let it happen. You said that um, dreaded S word there. <sighs> we'll come back yeah, around I to know. it. I, yeah, we'll, we have to in this arc. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of him going up against a lot of... And it, the cool part about it is just to see Goku go up against people that he's known for a while and recruit them and get a taste of them after like... You know, we don't get to see Goku fight a lot of his friends because that's not what the series is focused on. And just... Right. Watching him go up against Krillin in the rain with that, oh, the, all those different moves, and it was really cool just to see them go at it in a friendly manner. And then a fight that we've never seen before, 17. We could have seen him not only come back, but this really beautifully animated fight, and them filling each other out and it was so cool like i was like wow that's that's the big thing is as we've talked a lot about on is 
later in the manga. It was originally supposed to be lunch, and then they swapped out for 17. That's why the dialogue doesn't make any sense, and because 17 <laughs> has never actually met Goku before. And we we got to see yeah. the result of that, is Goku gets to meet number 17 for the first time. And it's absolutely fucking delightful. It's exactly the same kind of thing that we we wanted and hoped for in the Trunks arc, with Trunks meeting the present-day 18, who has a family. <laughs> She's got that snide comment to him, and then there's a reaction. It's like, oh, everything's totally cool here. And we kind of get a similar thing with Goku meeting 17 for the first time, where they're feeling each other out, and, and they're meeting, and it's like, oh, so you're that guy. Oh, so you're that guy. Want to yeah. be on my team? Nah, man, I just want, I just, I'm going to stay here. Here's my thing, like, that. that is cool. Goku and Seventeen finally meeting, doing their thing, that's awesome. But my issue is, with with this particular stretch of episodes, is that, it, and I, I think this really does extend to basically the entire arc as a whole, is that this, this stretch is just moment after moment after moment, cool moment, cool moment, cool moment. And it reminds me a lot of, like... You know, you play like a, an RPG and it's like, here's this thing that's coming later on, but you have to go and recruit all these different people and do little things here and here's there. Here's your fetch quest before you get to that. Exactly. And it, and it feels like that. But in an RPG, you have little stories contained within all of these separate missions and they're all kind of building towards this big thing at the end. And that's great. You kind of get lost in that. But for me, it didn't really feel like there was this kind of interweaving narrative between what he was doing. It was kind of like, all right, here's the Krillin episode, here's the 17 episode, here's the Tenshin Han episode, da, 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 da. here's Freezer, here's the tournament, let's go. And I and I feel like that seriously harmed it to the point where I think a lot of people, when we got to like, I don't know, episodes 90 or whatever, we were just like, oh, for God's sake, can we just start this tournament already? Because there was no rising tension yeah. whatsoever at all. I really wanted to look at like the other universe how are they reacting to this you know how are things going is there any fear there nothing it was just moment 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 i absolutely agree with you yeah i, I funnily enough i kind of rewinding a second i mean of course going into this arc in general we had that big splash image of the the universe 7 team knowing uh you know what we were in for i funnily enough i was very surprised to find the level of enthusiasm and like fans i'd never been aware of of 17 of like seeing him get to be part of this in the first place was kind of funny but um yeah and i mean even on my part i i kind of because uh, like i guess from my perspective too i've studied a lot about just like creating shows and like pacing out episodes and like dividing up stories and things uh, i guess kind of on the american side and i it was it was very not not in a bad way predictable to me that like okay everybody's going every member of the team is going to get at least their own episode or two uh, as part of this little sort of lead up mini arc and everything and i went in being like okay you know what i'm totally cool with that i would love to have some attention to each of them because i know that when the tournament starts it's going to be very difficult to balance the yeah. spotlight for all of these guys, uh, especially especially because we have all these other characters like the Universe Six guys and otherwise that we're going to want to see development out of. So I went into this with you know with, with some hope. I think that my biggest problem, and AJ, I think you were sort of touching on this too, is I I wanted these individual stories with the with all the this Universe Seven team members to be a little more interesting than I think they actually turned out to be in the end. 
you know, th- there were certainly some some fun little bits here and there in between them. Uh, but I think that, uh, like, as also AJ described, with like by the end of them, I was just like, all right, can we just get on with the with the the, the tournament already? Get to the because, and I think that the reason for that was because after a while, the material itself was proving to not be as oh, did, all, all right. Can, can we talk about the problems? <sighs> Sorry, social justice warrior Mike has entered the scene here. Can we can we can we talk <laughs> about the problematic in quotes stuff with the tension Han episode? Oh, I didn't want. I I, I was wondering when do we, we get around to, to it. Do we? Do we? I was, gotta, I was both. I was both eager uh, to talk about it and God dreading Christ. it. All right, so we so we don't have to talk about. it. We can just acknowledge that it was that was bad. It's a bad episode. That was bad. Stupid. Yeah, I'm with you. That it was weird. I, I think you're right in in many respects about this, uh, but it may also just be uh, <laughs> about the watching this on a week to week basis. Is that's tough? Where it's we have like roughly two months of the recruitment stuff where we're going. I just want to have the tournament, and then when we finally got to the tournament, it didn't happen that episode, and then it was the next episode when we finally started fighting. It, it was really it was really tough waiting to get to that point, but we had a lot of good stuff in there we have to talk about frieza recruitment the best part of the show oh my Buy god i was hating the idea i was dreading that idea oh, dude god i was damn. so mad i i wrote like a massive rant on twitter like are we really bringing frieza back again for the love of god we've had frieza in the movie we've had movie we've had frieza in the retelling we've had frost are we doing this again come on and I was totally proved wrong. Frieza's recruitment episodes were spectacular. But funnily enough, I, I was actually, if I'm remembering my own mind correctly, I think I was on board with it from the beginning. I think it was more so I was just angry that Boo uh, was cut. And it's funny because I, I actually had kind of just pushed the Roshi bullshit episodes out of my mind. And I realized in retrospect, even though, spoiler for later, he did have some fun moments like in the tournament. I feel like I could have lived with maybe Roshi and or Tension Han being cut in favor of Boo and having both Boo and Frieza. And I have a reason as to why, which I'll get to later too. But yeah, uh, I, I thought that the way, uh, just knowing ahead of time that it was going to happen, and especially like in the last decade or so, my new love for Frieza, mostly thanks to you, Mike. So thanks for that. Uh, I, I was on board from the beginning. I hadn't gotten sick of him. I completely understand why people would have been outraged about this. Uh, but, uh, but no, yeah, in, in the end, these episodes with the, the stuff at, at Baba's Palace and everything were probably the, the, the nice, like, okay, you know what? This was a good end to this little recruitment. What was so important about it too, was seeing Frieza, he's just going to go with whatever he can do at that time. Like, will you recruit me? All right. You guys suck. All right. I'm going to just stay with them. Let me work with Frost for a little bit. Like Frieza will do whatever suits Frieza at that particular moment and that really felt to me like yep Toriyama still knows who Frieza is and if I had to be completely honest with you and this is going to touch on something that uh you know there's it's kind of controversial in terms of like how people view Dragon Ball but to see Frieza first of all his his the way he interacts with Goku in this in particular space is beautiful. <laughs> Just so the, like the, it, it's bordering on flirting with each other the way they talk to each other, and I love it because it, you could just tell at any moment they want to go for each other's throats. But the thing that struck me almost immediately was in comparison to like, so the original Resurrection Half Arc didn't really sell Frieza's 
attitude to me. They even went so far to do so in the series version over the movie version to make him feel malicious and dangerous. Where in the series, like the the series retelling, it just kind of felt, okay, yeah, you're trying to make him torturous and it's kind of working, but kind of not. Here, just the way he dispatches the assassins is beautiful. I was like, this this whole scene is just like yeah freezes back bitches. I don't know. I just I love I love his ruthlessness. I love the violence on display from him because that's kind of a, the core of his character. He's violent. He's dangerous. He's sadistic. And to see that actually come you know full force in his reintroduction, it, it made it yeah again it made it feel like Frieza was actually back. Reiterating my earlier point about, I think, the American fandom kind of being on the same page about how a lot of these characters are now, I think there's so much more love for Frieza, like, overall from people. So I think that the giddiness of people having, getting these, like, just awful, awful, like, like in a good way, awful moments of him throughout this was, uh, was, was a treat, certainly. I thought the whole episode was actually beautiful. Like, I gotta admit, that's actually one of the best looking. Like, that that gave me a lot of hope for what was to come, just that one episode. Episode 95? Was it? Are you talking about the second Frieza episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one where, the, yeah, the one where they have that battle and Shida has that beautiful scene. Yeah, so that was, that was the episode that was directed by Tatsuya Nagamine, who's going to direct the new film. So that was like a nice little, hey, here's our series director actually being able to direct an episode that isn't a finale, which is something that we he didn't really get before like i think um chioka didn't get to direct any episodes during his retellings uh what's his name hatano mario or mario hatano only got to do the finale of the of the uh future trunks arc and then suddenly out of nowhere we get ryota nakamura doing this big freezer episode and you're right it's just it's beautiful and I, th- and I think it again it does speak volumes about the the production improving to the point where series directors actually can juggle between you know doing you know production stuff and actually uh, doing stuff to do with episodes and I guess that that helps because we now have two series characters but yeah it was definitely really nice to see and like you said it, it paid off in a massive way so I have what is ostensibly an outline of how we're going to conduct the show I have decided that I'm going to switch entire blocks around we're going to talk about different things <laughs> let's nice. talk about the structure of the tournament itself so we have our team members lots of stuff to talk about in there we talked about some of it we didn't forget about things we'll come back to it in five to ten years the Dragon Ball Super is not going anywhere so the structure of the tournament can we talk about the we've got what is, is it 48 minutes <laughs> yeah all right so uh, regarding earlier my point about how unlike with uh, the previous series they're adapting from the manga I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on the whole long rant do your research about why the five minutes for Namek to blow up thing is being unnecessarily harsh like it's it's shitty circumstance is the TLD, the TLDR explanation of that I would like to recommend a certain uh, editorial written by my co-webmaster Heath Cutler that you can find in our 30th anniversary magazine DB30 years thank you very much please do please do it it, it covers probably anything and everything and more than whatever I could ever say about it that said uh, I felt like this was a plot element that was either flat out unnecessary or could have been just changed to something that would have ostensibly made more sense because the thing is and actually you were talking about the week-to-week thing before right so the week-to-week thing is interesting in that like yes it's it's just the way it's kind of been with both the manga serialization with it airing on tv uh you know the one kind of difference you could make is of course when it was on Toonami in the u.s you have five episodes monday through friday that's a little bit different but even so Uh, I feel like there's no excuse in terms of like, you know, we know we're going to be doing a whole lot of episodes of this. 
and we know it's not actually going to be this long. So I felt like if they wanted to use the time limit thing, which I don't mind conceptually that as a thing, I felt like it would have just made more sense to have it be longer than that. A lot of people had a lot of problems with Frieza's however many months or whatever it was that he trained and he's a prodigy, so he just gets that much stronger. Is this any different from that? Like, is there any magical number that someone could come up with that would be like this general consensus of you are right. That is the right number for the number of minutes or number of hours that this tournament could have lasted. I don't think that's possible. So, so whatever. Yeah. I, I, my personal belief. Yeah. Fair enough. There shouldn't have been a time limit. I think they only did that because, you know, of course there would have to be a time limit, right? You couldn't just have them go on and fighting on and on. You'd want to have something that would wrap it up. But did you though? Because introducing the timeline in the first place just adds more complications than it actually solves anything. Because by the time we were down to the last minute, we were five episodes left. Yeah, that, that's the big problem is that we're getting into yeah. like seconds in the narration towards the end yeah, of and, the episode. And, you know, there's no amount of time dilation. JoJo's didn't suffer from this kind of time dilation, like problematic plot element. And it, it, I thought it was dumb. I thought it was useless. I thought it was pointless. And to be reminded of it only, only made it worse. It's like, do not tell us how much time is left. That's absurd. God, yeah. I mean, the... The, the, the usage of it would have really ultimately mattered at the end to help create tension, but because it, it just it wasn't utilized correctly, I think overall I would agree that it, it could have just been done without, honestly. No, I mean, you, you stole the words right out of my mouth. I mean, I, I have no issues with it existing, but they didn't do anything with it. Like you said, when you add a time limit to something, you expect that to be used down at the last minute where you build this tension. Oh, there's only such and such time left and however long is left in the ring and something, oh, you know, drama not wasn't there and and like he said to have the narrator at the end of every episode go and only one minute has passed 38 minutes remain blah 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 it's like oh come on this is that you know there is nothing worse than watching the clock and it just kind of for me it put kind of like a dampener on the end of every single literally episode literally the end of every episode yep <laughs> yeah so yeah because well and that's that's their way of trying to wrap up tension that's absurd we don't need the tension ramped up with a ticking clock especially like many things in this arc it's a red herring the, a lot of Chekhov's guns yeah. are dropped like oh if you kill somebody you're disqualified oh if you um it, you know if the time runs out disqualified it's like if it's down to one or uh, one person left and two other people from another universe then they win a lot of things come down to like ways there are a lot of rules that could have affected the plot and the way things played out but they didn't Almost nothing did. All right. So with that in mind, let's talk about you can't fly, but you may as well just be flying all the time, right? That's probably why they destroyed the ring, if I had to be honest. Yeah, by the end, which which lent itself to like a, a nice change of scenery, I guess, in a sense. But see, you know, I'll actually, kind of while we're, we're talking about the, the rules of the tournament, too, um, I'm actually curious. I want to ask you guys something. When, when this was first announced, so we didn't necessarily know that this was going to be a battle royale. We knew it was going to be a tournament between universes. Did you guys go in expecting it to be bracket style, like the traditional kind of way that Dragon Ball always does things? And like with that in mind, oh god, Chris, don't like- put me on the spot because I can't remember what was announced at what time and what we knew about what things and what I may have independently known about certain things at certain times. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I'm in the same place. Like I remember when it was announced, um, but there wasn't a whole lot of there wasn't a whole lot of information. And I think the idea of a battle royale was actually thrown around before they even announced. It. I guess my, my assumption was, uh, at least going into 
it that it was actually going to be a little along the lines of like the dark, the dark tournament from Yu Yu Hakusho, where it would be like team battles against each other. I, I need to throw in my anime card. And, uh, I, I have only seen the first four episodes of Yu Yu Hakusho fan sub, so I don't know what people are talking about when they they're like, oh, hey, uh, yeah. hey, hey, Mike, what do you think about the dark tournament? I, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, fair enough. Although that's t- very TLDR. It's it's team battles with different rules per battle with these individual teams. They decide on how they want to conduct it. Gotcha. In their case, it was five versus five. It could be anything from a battle royale to one v one, etc. They could decide at the beginning of it. Now, what? That, but that aside, what I what I meant was, I assumed this was going to be okay. We have grown some attachment to the universe six guys. We have been introduced to the universe eleven guys as the not necessarily yeah. villains but antagonists. So what I was presenting Zooming, and I think Scott, you and I might have even had this conversation once, like uh, over a year ago. Was it was going to be we follow the Universe Seven battles and the Universe Six battles, kind of having that sense of oh, who do we root for? Who do we root for? And then say like Eleven is the wild card, and then it comes down to whoever's versus whoever, and that's how it's going to be. So that said, when it turned out to be just a gigantic battle royale of these, how I, I don't even remember how many fighters there were in total. Uh, I was like, okay, not what I was expecting, but I like that it wasn't what I was expecting, and I'm curious to see how they go about it. So conceptually, I was on board with all of the basic rules, of, aside from the time limit complaints, just because of how they executed it. I was on board with with the setup of the tournament itself. Yeah. I thought no flying was actually a pretty cool concept, considering that flying has kind of turned some of the fighting into... Uh, if I had to be honest, kind of hard to follow or at least difficult to make dynamic action sequences. Yeah, but, but but Scott, did it even matter? Because we effectively were flying all the time because even if it's just jumping off the rocks or just these flurry of punches all the time in the sky, like it, it didn't matter. Like it was cute to be like, oh, that guy has wings so he can still fly. But that was so early and so irrelevant to the larger it really it, oh no it absolutely was as I said before a lot of a lot of setups with very little follow through in, in terms of the actual narrative structure I'm sorry I, I feel like every time we do one of these I'm like but Scott no you're wrong these are the reasons why you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> no that, here's the thing I I, I come I come on to uh, like I actually know that usually when I come on to here we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about these sort of things because I like to look at things very um, empirically and, and and you know before getting into real discussion on them because I like to set things up like so what were they going for what was the basis of this what was the idea and yeah their idea was hey let's cut down on some of the aerial battles and focus people on the ground and a lot of the time they did and sometimes they did okay like without 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 jumping too far what happened with Kefla I absolutely loved that Uh, I'm sorry what's her name Kefla (laughs) um uh, but uh, but I, and, I and that did utilize some of it, and and at different at different times they were they were very creative. But yeah, you, you I agree with you. The other half of the time, people are just punching each other and flying past others, and it's like, wait, how does that work? That that's all I want. I just want Scott to say I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's my ultimate yeah, goal yeah. here is to have everyone agree with me, and then we can move on. Now let's talk about how useless Gohan is. <laughs> we will move on. Yes, yes. So that that's the next oh point here is all this brouhaha over Gohan. You're the team leader, and we're gonna have all this teamwork. And then immediately, <laughs> as the tournament begins, they just fly. away. <laughs> 
and start oh, fighting. I was so mad. Oh, oh, like a bullshit. What you were what you were talking about? What did you expect from this tournament? Like when when they first announced it was going to be a tournament, I was like, oh, can we just not do this again? We've just had a tournament. I don't need more. And then they were like, oh, it's a battle royale. And I'm like, all right, okay, now I'm starting to think about like my Hero Academia's tournament where it's like a massive group of people. And okay, there's a section where people are working together and they're going to have to come up with strategies to beat other people. And it's going to be, you know, really complex. Well, not necessarily complex because it's Dragon Ball, but it's going to be interesting. There's going to be strategy. They're going to be up against, you know, people from other universes with different skills, kind of like we saw the poison from Lavender, but then it didn't happen. They flew away and started punching things for like a thousand episodes and oh please yeah i mean Go- gohan is uh, is overall always been my favorite character of, of the entire series and you know i i was certainly you know and, and i've i've defended him a lot from the, the leftover american fans that are unnecessarily harsh on him too uh i think that he had a great arc throughout all of the entire uh you know z era as well and, you know, I was excited about what they could have potentially done with him. He had some great moments, like, throughout uh, leading up to this. I mean, we didn't even talk about the fillery shit. I loved his little, uh, you know, movie star, great Siaman crap. Just a little shout-out to that real quick. Was, sure. was a cute little fun side-venture. Um, and, and you know, I, I, like, him being the leader was something that, to me, made perfect sense for his position in this team of guys who are, a lot of in a lot of cases, very unruly. Uh, and it was a bummer that, like, ultimately it didn't really matter a whole lot. Uh, he just kind of continued to have some, I guess, I don't want to say full-on lame, but just not as interesting fights compared to other characters. And, uh, I mean, you know, I'm sure a, a little bit later we'll get to the actual defeats of these characters, but pretty unceremonious. You know, he was he was kind of, unfortunately, one of the weaker utilized Yeah, parts. I think that comes straight back around to what we were talking about earlier with moments in this arc. Like, Gohan training himself and, you know, coming back to his strength from whatever, Boo arc, whatever you want to call it, uh, and, and, you know, becoming this team leader and then basically doing nothing. It's like that's just relegated something that was actually interesting as, and has kind of been this running theme throughout Super of Gohan lost his strength and now he's putting himself back up again, back up again. Now he's going to be the tournament leader and then nothing. It relegated it to another cool moment with no real effects on the story as a whole. And I think part of this has to do with uh, lurking problems from the end of Dragon Ball proper. When you have a character like Gohan, who was always kind of more of the reluctant fighter, once you went to the Boo Saga, everyone kind of noted like, hey, you're not even as strong as you were back then. And with the way the narrative worked out, he he comes back as, you know, basically... I don't even know what term to use. Ultimate Gohan, is that safe? Comes back for that and then immediately gets pushed back into the background because Vegito and then Goku. And the series ends and Gohan isn't really a star player anymore. And so when Super starts and brings him in as a side character, it's 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 interesting because they could not follow through with what they wanted to do. They couldn't decide, okay, is Gohan a family man or is he a fighter? It, it got even worse when he's like, when he tells Piccolo, yeah, I'm going to get stronger again so I can, you know, protect my family. Then the, then the whole Goku Black arc happens and then nothing happened. And then, uh, and, and I was like, okay, you know what? That's fine. I don't want nor need Gohan to be a fighter. He 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 served his nickel, but it's it's important to it's important because of of what comes through here because he comes back and he's like, yeah, no, I'm gonna get strong again. And then they do this BS with his ultimate form. Oh, hey, look, he's got that form back. How does it make any sense that he ever lost it? What? That's, that, that makes... No, I I'm totally okay with it because it, like 
that is Gohan. We've we've seen that. I'm sorry. I would like to invoke movie nine on multiple levels here. <laughs> on, on, oh my on, lord! On the on the first level, excuse me. We have had Tenkaichi Daibudokai. We have had a battle royale before. This is not the first time we've ever had one. Sure, we we've had Doskoi, and it wasn't exactly the most interesting fight in the series before. Okay, but no, we've had Gohan. You you've lost your your will to fight. And oh, this is where my dad came to to hone his skills. And we're getting a little bit of that again. And what is the conversation here? Sorry, I lost it. <laughs> the, the conversation is ultimately they could never decide what they wanted to do with Gohan. So he's got no narrative through line. He's got no cohesion. So once you're right. This- oh, OK, so so pulling it back to even the the Frieza arc retelling, that was something they did very differently in Dragon Ball Super as opposed to Resurrection F. Where, and I think we talked about this. I don't remember who was on that. Chris, was it UI and Lawrence? That we really like that. Where it was, all right. I'm I'm not great, but this is what I can do. I can at least put out everything I have and and call my dad. I, I'm so conflicted on on Gohan in general. And I'm I'm gonna totally sideline it. Can we, can we just talk about how no one knows how to draw Gohan anymore? Oh my oh. god, you're right. God. <laughs> oh my god, Gohan looks so off model and weird the entire arc. The only time that anyone has drawn Gohan appropriately, AJ, can you back me up? This is Yamamuro himself doing the opening. That little scene where he's there with Piccolo and he like opens his eyes. Like that looks like the right Gohan. That is a good Gohan. I'd also like to nominate Yuya Takahashi's Gohan as well from yes. 122. Yes. That was perfect. Yep, I agree. Takahashi, be praised. Yep, he is unbelievable. It's it's funny that it's Yamamura who managed to get him right in the opening because I don't know if any of you have seen the model sheets for Gohan, but the ones he did are very, very strange. He kind of has like Vegeta's face and the hairline is like very, very Widow's Peaky. It's not kind of yeah. how it's supposed to be. It's, uh, yeah. I think a lot of the issues there are obviously, okay, some of the animators aren't particularly good at drawing him, but the base they're working from is not very good. <laughs> Isn't good. And, and I'm sorry for folks that are following exclusively along with the Kerblogs, but over on Contentu, we are doing a Dragon Ball GT review of awesomeness, where we're, we should have already reviewed the show by this point, and we're getting back to it. Uh, I'm having this problem in GT as well, where no one knows how to draw Gohan at this age, at this form. We have the exact same problem here in Super. Although, uh, to be fair, to, to regurgitate that thing too from that discussion, uh, your point about how everybody looks like Vegeta when they all have angry eyes is so. Fu- I was like clapping, praising the Lord yeah. when you guys were and talking I think that, about. I think that. part of that comes down to the fact that uh, the style here has been very hasn't been very like okay. So Gohan's design has always been a little bit round with a little bit of edge in certain places, where it's just been a lot of roundness here. With Gohan, and it's it's difficult to get some of his... It's hard to explain. I'm not an artist. But yeah, Gohan never looks right. My, my final point on the Gohan note in general is just... I, I, I was disappointed in what happened with him. But to be perfectly honest, I also felt that overall, he was kind of the lowest on the, the totem pole of the many, many, like oh, this was really close to being something cool and you set it up to be something very interesting and different and then you ended up not really doing anything interesting. Yeah, didn't it reflect exactly what happened in the Boo arc with Toriyama where it was, all right, 
Gohan's my main character. Well, I have now decided that Gohan is not that interesting, <laughs> and I'm going to throw him to the side and go back to Goku. Yep. All right, we yep. got to move on. All right, so this is one of the biggest points that I think we have to talk about, and it's going to resurface again and again. It's just a series of climax after climax can i ask you guys <laughs> when do i care about the climax if there's going to be another climax in the next episode if if i if i can uh, if you guys will please collectively excuse the risque uh, way of describing this uh, on on the uh, other definition of that word, it doesn't even feel like an actual climax. It feels <laughs> like it stops right before the climax. No, but like legit, what I mean by that is like all these like big build up, build up, build up. And then it's like, that's it. We have to talk about it here because we're talking about the structure of the tournament itself. And the structure of the tournament is the structure of the show. And it feels like every episode, if maybe every two or three episodes, and as we get towards the end of the arc... Every episode is individually written to be like its own independent show. And, and we get this from the, is it yeah. on lasagna, lasagna bot, that one. Jiren, like the, <laughs> the four, five, 12 times that we fight him. It, it's, it's just like, isn't this the uh. best thing? It's not just the, is it episodes 109, 110, where we had like the one hour special episode? Like, okay, that's going to be the debut of yeah. Ultra Instinct. And that's going to be, this is a big important thing. But it was constantly, and I can't get invested in one because I know that we're going to have another one the very next episode. I, one, of the, and one of the contributing factors to this was the fact that with a tournament arc, you have all of these characters. You have, oh my god, over like 50 different characters that you've got to introduce their abilities, their universe, give them some kind of backstory. And furthermore, the series was like this arc was so intent on making sure that every character got a good fulfilling moment, except for Tenshin Han. And that was a detriment to it in a, in a couple of ways. Because while I was very happy to see, you know, Android 17 get this really big moment, actually a couple, um, to see 18 get this really big moment, Krillin and 18 get this big moment, Vegeta <sighs> rehash his big moment. Um, there's no narrative through line here. There's no story it's just a hey, throw all these guys in on on a on a top and then have them fight. This is one of the points that we had pop up to us a lot on Twitter. I, I asked for specific questions. A lot of people asked, "Can you touch upon the fact that this story has no plot?" Like that's not true, but also what you're saying is true at the same time. Yeah, because again, it, it's it's interesting when you t when you talk about tournament arcs in Dragon Ball. Because there's almost always this hint of development with the characters, either you know their fighting ability or their their personalities or where they are in life. With Ten Shinhan, there was this huge development, like character. Oh, arc can we talk about how good the end of the twenty second Tenkaichi is? <laughs> yeah, no, no. You know what? Forget the rest of all this bullshit. Yeah. Let's talk about that yeah. arc. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. But here, there's no room for character development. There's no room for actual growth. What we see is merely the greatest hits of certain characters. Like, even Roshi, who gets this, like, really big moment where he gets to be like, no, I'm still in this, you know, I'm still a fighter too. Yeah, um, that's cool. 
uh, I didn't need this. And your his big sacrifice at the end actually did nothing because they couldn't commit to killing Roshi off, which you know, it's up in the air of whether or not that would have actually made it better, but it would have at least given it some kind of actual, like, scale, but no, these moments, and it's why, you know, we talk about Gohan in this arc, he gets this, like, really big moment with Piccolo. He does. Where Piccolo, he takes the blast for Piccolo. Okay, but it doesn't actually do anything. It's all visual symbolism. Doesn't actually amount to a hill of beans. And while their fight is very well animated and has some really cool shots, there's no emotional impact because... There's no story here. It's just them fighting guys. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I 100% agree. Like, they're drag. Like, I want to do that Twitter thing with the clapping emoji. Dragon Ball is not episodic. Can we not do this, please? We need some sort of sense of progression and adventure and just something, anything. AJ, I feel like you were the first person, and I'm sure lots of people are saying this, but I feel like you're the first person that really brought this to my attention. It was having a everything is being neatly wrapped up within these. 22 minutes that's not dragon ball no i agree and and it, it it's it's weird for me because of the format they've chosen for this tournament why do a battle royale and then have every single episode basically just be this guy versus that guy or this guy versus this dude and blah blah blah, blah. the the but, best but, episode but that wouldn't make sense for certain characters like you want to get rid of this universe have a couple one-offs and get rid of them but then go back to like a multi-part thing but isn't that what we did didn't we have a multi-part kind of like versus jiren kind of thing but Maybe it was spread too far apart. I don't know. Well, that's the like, thing. Maybe, like, maybe this just doesn't work with Dragon Ball. I was just gonna say, I I agree, but I think that stuff came way too late at the point when nobody really mm, cared. The stuff maybe. that we got earlier on, where it was like actual group fights that kind of had a bit of skill to it. I think about like episode. Um, I think it was one hundred and four, which was like um, Hit and Goku versus some of the Pride Troopers. And like, that was really, really cool because, you know, there's teamwork here and these guys actually have unique powers that you have to kind of get around. And, you know, Hit's time skip ability is quite cool as well. And they did something kind of okay oh, there. Can, oh, can we just talk about the best line in the entire arc is I'm just, I'm doing my job. So oh, good. God, that doing was my job. Man. Yeah. Man, Hit coming yeah. back in being yeah. like, hey, remember when I was the coolest shit? Well, here I am. <laughs> You know, I, I actually, I meant to say this earlier, but this has come back around again as relevant. When Super first started and they were doing the Battle of Gods retelling stuff and they were drawing it out to be like 13 episodes or whatever, part of me thought, I, I had this this weird thought in my head of like, hmm, are they trying to emulate the experience of DBZ back in the day where it was like everything took a very long time and, and like battles and specific arcs and very finite little things took a long time and multiple, multiple episodes. Are they... And in, in in now, again, a format where they are not tied to a publication that's going on at the same time. They don't have to worry about catching up. And, and again, that's why I said this is probably very presumptuous of me, and I apologize for that. But there were times throughout this entire show, but especially in this case, where I thought, like, are they doing that on purpose? Like, is that... Why is that? Is that what is that the feeling that they're trying to invoke with you know? And again, yet another topic that could be a separate topic. But like, is this the feeling they're trying to invoke of nostalgia with people of like, hey, remember when remember you loved when this watching DBZ every every week and like, yeah, yeah, like Siri. I, I don't know, but it's possible. How long was the uh, Battle of Gods retelling arc? Fourteen. Yeah, and how long was the Resurrection F arc? About the same. I don't know. I fell yeah. asleep and I never woke up. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you, um, so uh, those numbers are very important. 
Those are seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. And that's when they were originally starting Dragon Ball Super. uh, Its future was not set in stone. There was a lot. There was a big risk there. It's it was very interesting because when they started it, they're like, okay, let's see. Let's the movies did well. Let's see how this show does. So doing the Battle of Gods arc in 13 episodes was such a risky move because then it's like, oh, wait, hold on. The actual fight with Beerus was like the last fifth of the movie. Now it's got to be like a third of the show. Oh, what do we do? And that's what happened there. Now here, what we see is an issue of a lot of things thrown in. There was not enough planning for this arc. We see it when Jiren is switched out for Topo early on. Yeah. There was not enough planning for this arc. But there there was a ton of planning for this arc, but it seemed like it was a combination of they weren't confident in what they planned combined with, well, Toriyama Sensei has decided that we're going to do this instead. No amount of planning can beat a ticking clock uh, if you've got so much going on. Because a lot of a lot of series, okay, let's talk about, just for a moment, let's talk about what they're doing with other shonen series currently. My Hero Academia, they are doing a season style where basically it's like, yeah, no, 13 to 25 episodes, that's what you get. And they've got months to sit down, work on this, and better yet, they have a manga to go off of. Oh, that, they, isn't a, that a the biggest difference? Of, that is a big difference. That is that is certainly maybe even the biggest difference. But the major point is, in this arc, is the worst offender. There is no sit... Okay, let's sit down and point out what are we trying to tell with this arc? What are the big story beats? What do we have to hit? And what is our time frame to hit them? But Scott, we have that. We have Toriyama's outlines. What's the problem? Um, an outline doth not a story make. And if I had to be honest with you, uh, Toriyama is way out of his element just doing these, these you know, story outlines. This may be where he's most comfortable now. And I'm not going to say anything about his ability to, ability to write, his ability to draw, his personal investment. But the big change that we see from the from Dragon Ball to to Dragon Ball Super is that he is not involved in each step. He is only giving these story outlines. The writers at Toei Animation have not had the time and foresight to sit down and create a compelling story out of it. They've merely, well, written this episodic mess. They've had plenty of time. They're just not good enough. (laughs) You know what? That is also a possibility. I am totally open to the idea that Toei's writing staff just isn't very good at writing Dragon Ball. This is the thing I actually want to address because I've seen this lodged against a lot of people, myself included at times, is that like, oh, you will just suck whatever Toriyama dick comes your way. If Toriyama writes it, you will accept it and you will love it. That is not true. I have had a lot of problems. Dragon Ball Minus, I think, is the quintessential example of this. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I think I will give Toriyama more of the benefit of the doubt because he's got that base that like proves it. If we had Toriyama not just guiding it, I I can't ask this of him at this point in his life. But if we had Toriyama not just guiding it, but writing it and drawing it, this would be a a very different arc, wouldn't it? I think so. But I also want to step in and kind of disagree a little bit with you when you say that 
Toei's writers as a whole can't do Dragon Ball because I don't think that's 100% true. I feel like, okay, there are absolutely some writers who are weak, but I think on the whole, quite a lot of the writers we have have produced some pretty great episodes, but the issue is that there's absolutely no cohesiveness between them whatsoever. And I think... Right, like you you said that. They've written some good episodes. Right, but so I was going to say, like, I, I feel like a big part of that is possibly down to the fact that we don't really have at least credited, we don't have a series composer. We don't have someone who's really just planning this arc, you know, on paper and coordinating the script writers and saying, this is how we're going to do things. This is how each thing is going to go from, you know, one episode to the other. It kind of feels like each writer has an idea of how they want an episode to play out, how they want characters to be, how they want the tone to be. And they just kind of go with it regardless of what's happened in the previous episode, regardless of what's coming up. And I think that drastically affects things. And I think one of the biggest examples of that was when universe six got erased the episode they got erased in that that final scene was great i think a lot of people really love that but the next episode whoever wrote that didn't care doesn't matter i'm doing my own thing now let's not even address that whatsoever we're moving on buh, 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 buh. next episode gone and that was one of the biggest issues for me like anything and, and this absolutely contributes to the fact that everything feels so episodic it's just i want to do what i want and we're going to end it here and duh, 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 duh. you know it's just yeah it's it's so frustrating. So I, I have I have a bigger rant uh, about this. I want to save it for when we talk about two particular characters in the next section we're going to get to. But I will say this much: um, I love Shonen. Shonen is a huge, huge influence on me as a creator. It's one of my favorite genres. But that said, and you guys will understand this, I'm approaching 30. I'm growing up. Excuse my, me. Approaching, approaching 30. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Get it out. Get it out. Go ahead. Um, Mike Lucas, my best friend, has had to constantly ground me when we talk about both Super and actually even my hero uh, as well, where he has to constantly, and shout out to you, Mike, if you, if you actually made it through this for fuck's sake, uh, that jump Sorry, excuse me. Shonen is not a genre inherently that is deep. So for me to be looking for deep philosophical stuff like that in these kind of stories inherently is not a good idea. And I'm, I'm never. That's an never entire separate conversation about. No, no, it is. Little it is, boys it is, it show, is. but we should expect more. And is the audience growing alongside? Yes. No, I know. And, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into that. That specific topic. The reason I bring it up though is because. I, I have given a lot of benefit to the doubt to Super throughout the whole thing. I have enjoyed the ride. I even, even literally, I'm watching the fucking Zamasu arc again on, on, on Toonami, and I know, like, nothing that's happening is going to matter because the fucking universe and the whole timeline is going to be erased. None of this matters. At least I'm enjoying the moment-to-moment -moment shit and these characters and the cool animation, whatever, and that's fine. Fine, whatever. And... For this arc, with all the things we've talked about in mind, for the lack of story, and it's just cool moments, and once in a while, once every ten episodes, we get some fucking gorgeous-looking animation that AJ breaks down extensively in, in an amazing <laughs> way. Thank you for that. Uh, and I'm like, okay, it's just pure, raw... It's like wrestling almost, and that's probably not a good comparison because I don't know oh, no. about wrestling. Oh, no, that's why I hate it. Fans. Yeah, yeah, that is that is absolutely what and, it is. You are not wrong. Okay, okay, fair enough. Then it's like that, and and to a certain extent, I can deal with that. But there's a point in time I hit, and it was probably gradual, where especially in this arc, and and I'll get to why later. But especially in this arc where I was like, I'm not, I, I, I'm looking at this footage, I'm watching these episodes, and I'm not seeing a show anymore. 
All I'm seeing now is the wool pulled back from over my eyes, and all I'm seeing is a giant commercial for fucking Dragon Ball Heroes trading cards, video game DLC, and action figures. And it's like the magic died. And I was sad. I was fucking sad about it. And and especially because, as we're going to move into the next section to spoil a little bit, there were so many things that that, there's so many ways it could have gone. And and it went none of those ways. And that's, yeah. But but that's that was my that was my like slow deterioration over watching this entire thing. Well, so regarding that, one comment in particular we got on Twitter, and this comes from Saya Jordan. The arc itself didn't seem to flow correctly episode to episode, relying too much on nostalgia for certain scenes. Would it have flowed better if the arc had a showrunner? Now, AJ, can you speak at least just a little bit to the show having both a director? and an organizer so didn't we effectively have a showrunner here so i mean i guess as far as like the series director goes uh i guess a lot of what they do is mostly down to creative decisions that affect the entire show uh as far as visuals go generally um they i mean they usually step in as far as ensuring x and y episode looks great working alongside production managers i guess what they're referring to here is what i was mentioning earlier about an actual series composer someone to organize the writers and ensure everything really flows together correctly and i don't think we've actually had that officially since king ryu back in what the universe six arc that he you know casually mentioned on a blog and then got told to take down and that was that was fun and what was what was interesting is that I thought we had one at the start of this arc because Atsuhiro Tomioka wrote like the first five or six episodes of this arc. And I think for a lot of us, those are some of the strongest episodes of this arc because they flow from episode to episode nicely. There's actually some sort of cohesion between each character. And then it kind of stopped. And that's when you started getting different writers every single episode. We never got a big block like that. Um, which is something we saw a lot in previous arcs. There were many occasions where you would have blocks of right, uh, have writers doing blocks of episodes one after the other that really helped push things along. So that you know, when you did get another writer in there, yeah, okay, it was maybe a little bit different, but it wasn't. It wasn't this. It, it wasn't this episode after episode of different tone, different types of writing characters. You know. Yeah, I I think it's impossible to not notice the lack of cohesion in terms of what again what they were trying to tell with the story. Because they were so focused on these big moments. I feel like certain writers were told, okay, give Gohan and Piccolo this big scene. Hey, you, uh, give Tin Shinhan a big scene. And then that guy uh, went to the bathroom and never came back. Hey, uh, like, give Krillin an 18 this really cool scene. And at some point, maybe at, maybe at some point, they were like, all right, this is how we're going to deal with these specific characters. Let's try and uh, pace this as well as we can. But... At the end of the day, there's just a huge breakdown from from scene to, from moment to moment. I feel like this relates to what we're talking about, the episodic nature of the show. Do we want to talk a little bit about power creep? And you all know me by this point. This is the kind of thing that does not affect me as a viewer in any way, shape, or form. I am not concerned with equating and balancing out feats. But it really does just keep popping up time and time again in this arc, and it's right in my face to the point that we would all be remiss here not to mention it, Uh, especially, I mean, Chris is going to be on your channel, AJ, you're going to talk about it, Scott, you're going to talk about it, Um, you know, a larger audience perhaps hearing it outside the traditional Konzenshu echo chamber. We got to talk about the escalating strengths, Goku's I'm tired, but now I'm recovered, but now I'm exhausted again, well, and... Modify, 
Yeah, Scott, right. go for it. So when it comes to the topic of power levels for me, uh, it's kind of a complicated issue. Because the the whole concept of power levels introduced by Toriyama was one of his most brilliant and yet most damning moves the man has ever made. The Introducing it with Vegeta and then, oh man, really hammering it home through the Frieza saga. And ultimately just made it indelible. You cannot separate Dragon Ball from power levels. Um, it, it's impossible. And Super has done a very good job in general, of just kind of being like, this character's strong. And he might be stronger than Goku, but we're going to focus more on on the fight and, and the story that's being told. And I, I appreciate that. For some people, including me, and I'll be honest with you, it is a little bit difficult for when a character uh, presents themselves, I'm like, okay, cool. What are your abilities? How strong are you? How, how will you affect this battle? And then basically get no real explanation uh, as to, like, either their abilities or I punch things really hard and they punch things harder than the other guy. Or it's it's a difficult topic to talk about because for you guys, for you, Mike, you don't care about power levels and and stamina and whatnot. It's so tough because I don't want to admit it, but I'm definitely getting to a point in my life, in my fandom, where the more people talk about it, the more I want to rebel against it. And I want to say more than is actually true. Like, I don't care about it just to stick it to them. But no, that's not entirely true because, like, go back to the recruitment episode. So 17's apparently Super Saiyan Blue strong now. For me, I can accept that. Not just because Toriyama's decided that 17's going to be there, but because I happen to like 17 a lot, and 17's going to be there, so great. And 17's different, he's not like Boo, where he's got some gimmick to him, so it's pretty much just, okay, he's stronger, great. But then throughout the entire tournament, we do have instances where someone randomly decides they can do this and someone else randomly decides they can do that. And that's 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 one of the issues with Dragon Ball. And here's it, it's also a problem with the fan base. I, I, I blame a lot of people for wanting big moments, for wanting each character to be on the same level playing field. And they got that during this arc. They got an episodic arc where everyone is exactly the same strength and it takes some... And it was a bad move. <laughs> like, I don't I don't need Krillin to be as strong as Goku. I don't need Android 17 to be as strong as Goku. What I need is for them to be able to hold their own and be, at, you know, have actual, uh, have a place in the story, in the arc. Like, Android 17, for all intents and purposes... Did not need to be as strong as Goku. As far as we know, he wasn't. He didn't need to be as strong as Goku because as far as we saw, it, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Like, at no point does does his strength really matter. Well, well, in, in the end, Scott, isn't that really the, the twist of this whole thing? Uh, we'll, we'll get... Hold on, hold on. That, that stuff's really interesting. Point. We'll talk about that later, but... <laughs> I just wanted to say real quick, uh, my, my only real contribution to this part of that is, and I, I, Mike, maybe you might remember this better. There wasn't there some interview with Toriyama or something where he mentioned about like the characters are as strong as I need them to be at any given. I don't know, man. It sure sounds an awful lot like something I would say, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to okay. Toriyama. Well, I, either okay, either way, okay, okay, either way. The the point is like. That's about as much as this aspect matters to me. I think the only real thing, the only real thing in this subject of the of the larger thing, is uh, I think Ultra Instinct. Well, well, hold up on that because Ultra Instinct is like one of her big <laughs> bullet points there. 
Uh, I slash we, mostly me, uh, interrupted Scott, though. He had something to say. Look, um, battle, battle powers within Dragon Ball are not the important part, but progress is. And I think that's true. That rings true not only in terms of like the story progressing, but also the characters. When you have a when you have characters who struggle and grow, uh, you want that to be coherent and you want it to make sense. When you see other characters basically shortcut to their level, you have to have a, a very good reason and. And, and and because otherwise it's undermining a lot of the struggle and a lot of the story that's been told before it. Um, now with Frieza, I was like, fine, you know what? Whatever. He can. He's he's a prodigy who's never trained before. Okay, fine, sure. I don't care. Like that that did not bother me that much. But when we got to the universe six Saiyans, we had this weird little like, yeah, but I re-, like Toriyama was like, oh, and then Vegeta could show them Super Saiyan, and then you know then they learn it, and then they get to learn it too. And I'm like. Okay, that's kind of neat. Um, you're kind of setting yourself up there for them being way behind everyone else. Oh, but no, they can just basically go Super Saiyan two like that. And I'm like, okay, so you're kind of you're you're jumping a lot of guns here. You could have ultimately had them like already in progress in their own universe or a million different things. And it's and it's it, for some people it's not a big deal, and I get that. But there's so much in there that I like. It, it tells us so much about. Universe 6, and in particular the science area, and a little bit about Frost. Frost has so much going on. But the science in particular, it, it shows us more about Vegeta. Uh, it shows us more about Goku a little bit, like him showing off with Cauliflower. That's part of the growth about Universe 6. And like you said, they never catch up, but that's okay. It's okay that they never catch up. That's part of who they are. And in turn, what it's really doing is showing us more about characters like Vegeta. And, and that goes all the way to literally the last episode of the series, where Cauliflower Falls like, oh my god, guys, Super Saiyan 3, we totally gotta do this. I actually, no, and here's the thing. I love, and we'll talk about her in a minute. We'll talk about them both. We'll talk about the, the Saiyans because, frankly, I love them. Like, my problem here is from a story perspective. It's a dropped ball in terms of how you tell a story. There's no way around that, and it's... It, but there are constant drop balls, and I wonder if this is one that maybe we'll get in a future series, who knows? From a storytelling perspective, while it did lead for some interesting, fun things, it could have been handled better, is all I'm saying. So I, I agree with that. I That's fine. I agree with that. But for me, personally, if you're, if you're going to do that, the least you could do is at least... Throw in a line here and there. Give me something. Because... Hand wave I mean, that you shit! Think back to, <laughs> well, you, well, you think back to Resurrection F and everyone's like, well, now how's, how's Frieza trained for such and such time to do, you know, this crazy thing? And it's like, I, I don't really care. At least they said something, to be honest. <laughs> just, it's just a line. Whatever, that's fine. Give me a line. Um, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that was maybe missing here. Well, as far as, as... Well, I mean, on the whole, I guess. But but as far as stamina goes, I, I think st- the, the issue with stamina coming up over and over and over again, I think comes down to the length of this arc and what they had down on paper as bullet points about what happens. And I feel like the reason that's that's come up over and over again is because they're dragging everything out. They're like, okay, here's here's the climax of this point. Okay, now we need to do the stamina thing here. If this were a shorter, more tightly written arc, that stamina thing would happen, and then we, you know, we'd throw Goku away for a little bit and do some stuff, and then bring him back for the finale, and that would be, you know, great. Right, and that would be the finale, and that would be it. Exactly. It be back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So we have those. So we have that that issue there. The structure is bad, but I also think they're very afraid as well of having Goku away for too long. Like even when he did have his stamina issues, and they, you know, had the balls to go and jump onto someone else and focus on them for a little bit, they were still bringing Goku somehow. 
Um, so I think there was, there's definitely that side of things that, that bothered me a little bit. So I think, I think the stamina issue is very much a, a structure thing with the length of time. Um, you know, they've decided to dedicate to 48 minutes across a bajillion episodes and also their fear of having Goku away for too long. For Which some is reason. weird I mean, I know because we had the, that. Toriyama was like, okay, now Goku's gone for like 10, 15 chapters. And then the other characters get to have the spotlight. No, this is the Goku show. He's got to be in every single scene. I know, and this is and the, and the thing that bugs me, and this is and this goes all the way back to what Mike was saying earlier about how they translate interviews and then they feel really relevant to stuff that's happening now. But we got that GT interview not that long ago where they were um, translated not that long ago, rather, uh, where they said like, "Oh, well, you know, you know, we need Goku. He's it's not exciting when he's not there or whatever it was. It was something along those lines, and it was like, well, I mean, yeah, kind of, but." Think about, like you said, how much Toriyama would focus on other characters and and use uh, that time on them to kind of build up expectations for when Goku finally arrives and you get that big satisfying reveal. Right, and I pull it back again because I think you should be listening to it because it's important to get different perspectives. But the All Systems Goku podcast, where they're reviewing, as we're recording right now, the Frieza arc uh, in Kai, not in Super, where Goku is in the tank or is in the spaceship, uh, and the series can survive without him. But then I also feel like, and I've said this before, I always feel like it's always in service of Goku returning. Absolutely. But I think that's fine. I think you just... Goku is our main character. It's okay. It's okay if things are in that service. But usually during his downtime, funny enough, uh, the my favorite part of the entire arc with Frieza was everything until Goku showed up. <laughs> like, oh, there was a, there's a lot of great cat and mouse going on there. All right, so we talked about the tournament structure, which actually turned into the show structure with the episodic basis and such. Uh, let's talk about the core concepts of the arc a little bit, which in many ways are the core concepts of Goku himself. But then you get these like little tentacles out into other characters. So let's not start with him, and instead maybe start with the Universe 6 science. I know we did talk about them with the new transformations and wanting to learn more, but maybe let's just go a little further with them. Yeah, U- U- Universe 6 to me, is a treasure. I mean, still, I think probably my overall favorite episode of this entire show, and it was reiterated to me when I saw the dub of it again, and I was like, yep, still my favorite, is Vegeta versus Kaba in the Universe 6 versus 7 tournament. Because I feel that that episode has the clearest point the best lesson to it it, it had such a, a good spirit of like the the cyan part of dragon ball in general i just said cyan i hope you're fucking proud of me mike uh like it, it was it was wonderful and i mean kaba kaba i love as a character kale and Caulifla, regardless of you know what what may or may not have been a little bit of a convoluted whatever the hell was happening with if they were supposed to be two individual characters it sounds like they were at one point etc I I found them both to be adorable and funny and interesting and hilarious and all the and plus with Kappa too like the three of them as a dynamic was so cute and so much fun and so entertaining like even if it wasn't um even if it wasn't like you know anything necessarily that new or again that deep it was just fun it was it was really really enjoyable and it made me smile consistently the most to think of any of the stuff that happened with this whole arc actually to be positive for a fucking minute <laughs> and it extended to hit during that that whole scenario was you guys are the future you guys you're what i'm relying upon and at that point we're led to believe that hit is actually the strongest in this universe and and has the the best chance of doing anything but even hit is like we need you guys to survive because you have the most potential here 
And that's that. That's an interesting concept because <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's the Dragon Ball tradition of science or God's gift to fighting. See, this kind of comes back to uh, a little bit to my point. I love, uh, and we'll talk about the characters proper later, or we can talk about them now. Do you want to talk about the characters? Kale and Caulifla as characters are adorable and fascinating and interesting. Um, let's remove Kale's Broly form. It barely mattered in the long run. It had like two episodes worth of actually having anything yeah, to do yeah. with it, and ultimately just ended up being as a, hey, you remember Broly? Isn't that awesome? Like, like that was clearly the point. And as we've gotten in interviews and article translations that you can find on www.consensu.com, that was, we need Broly in this show. But they managed to do something new and different and, and take her out of just that And that box. was important because, AJ, you hate Broly and you hate the fact that he was included by pro as no, no, an XP no, no, no. here. I I like Broly. <laughs> ah. I think Broly's fine. Whatever. I think Broly is just you know, he's he's a big bulking, powerful thing. Whatever. His film is fine. I don't I really don't hate that. In character. a vacuum it's fine. That first film I, I enjoy. But yeah, I just I I I cannot abide that inclusion in Dragon Ball Super. That is the fucking joke, the meme. The one thing everyone, whenever you make jokes about Super before this arc, it's like, haha, Broly's going to be in Super. Oh, we're going to put Broly in Super. And it, it fucking happened. They did it. That's such soulless bullshit. And it makes me so angry. And I, I, I shouldn't be angry because, I mean, you know, this is, it is a glorified toy commercial at this point, but it's, it's, it's unbelievable and it's shameless. And it, and it really is shameless because of everything they said, uh, you know, Broly is really popular overseas. And then... The, the, AJ, like you're saying, it was completely soulless and it's completely transparent. I feel like they did enough to separate it that I... I'm okay with it. Well, my issue is that what they, the, the twist they put on it wasn't interesting to me. Like, okay, Cauliflower is a There great... was no twist. It was, oh, I'm Broly. Oh, no, I'm actually not. <laughs> well, well, I, mean, I mean, as far as like Kale goes as a person, like Cauliflower is great. She's very much, you know, interesting. You, you could get rid of Kale and she would still be right. a great character. I, I guess Cauliflower is the cool character. Right, exactly. But then, but then Kale to me is just nothing. Like, I am a totally shameless lover of all things moe and cute and the type of stuff where you get characters <laughs> like Kale that go, oh, nice son. And like, that's, I love that shit. But it doesn't fucking work here because it's just, it, there's nothing to it other than that. When you have that stuff in the shows that I love, there's always something more there. That's a small part of a character that's actually interesting. That character in Dragon Ball, in, in Dragon Ball Super, is there's there's really nothing to it. It's just, oh, I'm I'm jealous because Ane-san won't recognize me. And then, you know, it comes... And she keeps talking to Goku and I wish she would talk yeah, to Yeah, and, and it's like, where is, you know, what's going on? Why is there not more to this? And the only other thing that that they added was, oh, I guess I just have to harness my Broly power. And I guess, and they didn't seem to know what they wanted to do with that because she harnesses it. And then they never really, and then, and then she's like doing beam struggles and then going into the crazy form. And it's like, well, did she harness it? Or, I mean, how does this work? And they never explain it because nobody explains anything in super. And it's just, I, I, I cannot stand her inclusion. And I think it is just terrible. I, it is my least favorite part of this arc out of anything because it just feels so, I fully understand, and I said it before, that this is a vessel for merchandise primarily. But to have something, again, so it, it, it is not afraid to be very clear that that is what this is. And I, I hate that. I think that is a step, that is a mile over the line of what I'm okay with. I, I, I think something uh, 
uh, maybe maybe you're trying to say um, if it, like if I could pull something that I constantly wanted to say out of this, that doesn't feel like something Toriyama would do at all. Like if I had to be honest yeah, with you, I would agree. If with I had that, to look yeah. at what Toriyama would have done, no, I don't think he would have done that. I I just flat out don't. And I can't see inside of his mind, but going by the way he writes and has written for years, yeah, no, this feels way too meta, and that's not him. Well, we know what Toriyama would have done, because Toei gave him what they were doing, and in response to that, Cauliflower was developed, and doesn't she just so much more obviously and clearly feel like a Toriyama character? God, yeah, yeah. she's amazing. She she is right out yeah. of the manga. Yeah, she's she's hilarious. She's got great charisma to her. Like, I mean, and here's the thing. Kale was, at the very minimum, more interesting to me because even though your your points about her are completely correct, AJ, I think purely from she has a personality, whereas yeah. Broly fucking doesn't. Like, sorry, not sorry. But Caulifla, I think also working with her, and I think they even mentioned this in one of those recent interviews you guys translated, Mike, uh, that the two of them together made for an interesting pair. Your all of, AJ, all of your points are absolutely correct, and I don't disagree with them. Uh, I think that the reason at the very minimum that I didn't, like, despise the character, uh, the, the characters, rather, is because something about at least the way that they were acting and like you know performing and like they had like a nice range of like funny moments and badass moments they had good animation they had good like scenes and stuff like they had a nice kind of mix of everything so it led me to just like them so when they were around doing things that those two in particular but I did like all the universe six characters it was something that was making me smile in the midst of a whole bunch of shit that was mostly making me go either like Ugh, or ooh, ooh, ah, uh, like <laughs> if, if that description works. And yeah, sure. Like Kale as a character in a vacuum is, a, is soon. It basically Yandere, like shy. It's she's not incredibly good, but damn it, every time she was on screen with Caulifla, I was like, oh, she really cares about her. And 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 the best part is Caulifla cares about her back. Like, look, I'm not gonna get too much into the shipping territory, but there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, they're kind of a couple. And I love that. I love the fact that there's just these girlfriends out there fighting and becoming stronger. And I don't know. I, I hate the whole Broly XP. I do. I, I hate the Broly XP. But everything else, I liked. I liked them as a, as a couple. I think the hilarious kind of ultimate thing at the end of this that I cannot fucking believe is that after all of that, after all the points we've made about like kind of Again, pulling the the curtain behind and seeing that this is all really a fucking toy commercial. The first wave of fighter of fighters DLC has Broly instead of Kale. I mean, <laughs> just like really, guys, like so, which I would have gladly taken. But I mean, I, I, honestly, the the best bet that they have got going on is um, make Califla the character with a Kale assist, and then one of their alts, like their level three, is them fusing. Califla was cool, um, but she was also sort of. She also kind of took away from Califla and Kale because the moment you introduce Kefla, it's like, okay, well, first of all, we got a fusion character out of nowhere. And as soon as they fuse, you know, like, well, this is going to be the end of them. Yeah. And it's like, okay, uh, now Califla and Kale are Kefla. And her personality is, I mean, it's just Califla. Hey, look, Califla. Well, that's what I was about to say. Like, I feel like that says everything about Kale. I feel like that that is the bottom line on on. That character. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I, guess you could also maybe argue that by the time they do the fusion, Kale has reached a point, you know, that kind of like slimmed down Super Saiyan form, whatever the hell it is. I don't, I don't even want to start naming forms. Uh, 
you could maybe argue that by that time she's like a little more confident and less shy. So therefore, like, you know, Kayfla's personality is still kind of a combination of Caulifla as she is and the more confident Kale. So it does still kind of make sense. But I do get what you mean in terms of like, yes, overall, Caulifla was the more interesting character and Kayfla was just kind of like the like the extended. It was almost kind of like that that uh that joking thing about like Piccolo's transformations are just sort of, you know, incorporating Nail and Kami and yeah. him. Uh, in this case, it's just like, oh, I, 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 ins- I assimilated, uh, you know, Kale's like slightly interesting yep. things about her into my more, which makes the argument of maybe they could have just been one more interesting character to begin with instead of the two. But shrug. So uh, I, you know, I'm not really sure. I have too much to say other than I actually really, really like the fight of Kefla versus Goku. Like, holy fucking shit, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. AJ, maybe you can get into this better than I can, but uh, our buddy Cypher on the Consensual Forums mentioned this, and I'm just all about it. Uh, this is this fight is one of the only instances in Dragon Ball Super where we feel like we can buy the strength escalation in that all the visuals behind each attack really reflect just how crazy strong everyone's supposed to be and just how strong they're telling us that everyone is. Are you asking me about power levels? I, I don't <laughs> understand this question at okay. all. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think what we're trying to ultimately say is this felt believable. This fight felt believable. The Kefla the, 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 the fight is definitely one of the most like genuinely satisfying things about this entire arc, I would say. Regardless of how bad the stamina stuff is, that fucking time limit made the stamina stuff insufferable because you're essentially telling us that oh he took half a minute off and now he's back to fucking like super saiyan god oh by the way yeah by the way god's back god's just back which is cool but like (laughs) what what (laughs) i know like this is one of those rare instances where like do we have an aside do we talk about the manga version do we blame toyotaro like are they trying to invoke that are they just passing things back and forth like what even matters anymore in terms of idea sources hey look i love god and i'm so i was happy that it was back but it was weird anyway point being um i think it was great that we had this really tough fight because goku is Goku is pushing himself so much. And yeah, so when UI kicks back in and that awesome finale happens, you're like, that was awesome. I'm I had no I barely any complaints at all. I was like, yep, that was exactly what I wanted. So I guess we should talk about UI, huh? <laughs> this was something that I was excited about because I felt the potential that this held was kind of getting to a bigger thing, and as it's, you know, kind of teased with Weiss's extremely happy and uh, reaction to it. It's everything that we have been told from Battle of Gods moving forward. Weiss literally telling us in dialogue, this is the natural endpoint for where we're going. It was it was very exciting to see. It was, you know, I, I kind of fell for the trap of like, oh, it's a new form that technically isn't a new form. It's a state of being, even though it's going to get all the fucking, you know, merchandise and DLC or whatever that a new form would get. Well, that's one of those eternal questions. Is this a new form? Is it a new transformation? Uh, independent of that, can I just say that maybe the first version, the incomplete version, the non-Toriyama version is the better of the versions? <laughs> yep. 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 Yes, it is. I, I absolutely agree with you about the introduction of this form. And what makes me sad, and okay, look, uh, maybe it's uh, that I've watched way too much Hunter Hunter, I like seeing people progress and evolve and change and improve their forms, their techniques. And like, so when I hear 
yeah, you know, these are the problems with your abilities. These are the problems with your stance, with your focus on battle. Like, when Whis sits them down and says, Goku, you're, you let things, too many things go. Vegeta, you're too stiff. You got, and, and, and also say, you guys, you need to start battling. Your bodies need to respond before your mind does. And I'm like, oh, that's neat. We're talking about, like, extra level of martial arts. That kind of, like... And we heard that in Resurrection F, which was before the retelling in Dragon Ball Super. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here. And again, we're jumping all over the place in my outline, which <laughs> does not even exist at this point. Uh, my good friend, Corey, says, given the fan servicing nature of the show at times and the prominent, if you two work together, you could even beat Beerus callback. How disappointing was it to not see Ultra Instinct Gogeta? And oh, God damn it. Don't talk to me about that. This came up in so many Twitter comments, especially in light of Kefla with the fusion, uh, everything that had been heading toward this arc. Uh, it was twofold. It was you guys need to work together and you need to rely on your senses. They didn't combine the two. We got the standard Goku Jesus fights to solve everything over here with his super senses. And over here with Vegeta, we got your sparkles in your new form. But maybe that makes the most sense in the long run for these two? Yeah, what, what, what you're saying is the best character in Dragon Ball Super got completely boned in the final arc. Uh, like, to talk about a little bit more about Ultra Instinct before we go into Super Saiyan Royal Blue, I really enjoyed the first introduction of Ultra Instinct. No, that, no, it's the, the, the song kicks in. Finally, we can talk about this for five seconds. Fucking... Literally, just the song. Not even the fight. The song is like one of the best, the single best things about this entire fucking arc is Ultimate Battle by Akira Kushida. Holy shit. It's so good. I have been obsessed with that song for fucking months. It's amazing. Carry on. Sorry, I'm done jizzing. Right, which would be great, except then we got it seven more times. Well, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Way, way overused of the song. But the introduction to Ultra Instinct was, oh my god, amazingly effective. First of all, a, a spirit bomb exploding on Goku was the coolest way to introduce that. Because it's like, that's his move. That's the, that's the spirit bomb, or the Genkidama. He has the Genkidama, and it explodes on him. And that's... <laughs> keep self-correcting yourself because I'm here. I'm sorry. Yep. So it, it explodes on him, and that's what does it. The, he's pushed to the absolute limit. And then it comes out, and the animation, the art, the music, everything, it's beautiful. It's, it's like... Which is great, but then it turns into what we were talking about earlier, where every episode, it's another climax, with or without Ultra Instinct. Next episode, is another climax, with or without Ultra Instinct. Yeah, unfortunately, by introducing, like... And here's, here's one of the uh, problems that we find, is that they introduce this amazing new form. Now he's got to master it before this arc is over. I fucking love that, though. That's my favorite thing. And, and, and then also the mastered version being treated as, like, another Yeah, like, and let's not talk about how underwhelming the mastered thing. version is. Um, can, can we be fucking honest here? Look, as, the second they started making individual, like, color versions of Super Saiyan God, how many fucking yep. people were like, okay, the next one's going to be white or silver or whatever? And, like, five, we're, we're going to go full, full fucking Dragon Ball AF. And, and, I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say this here because there's no other place to fucking say it. I don't care if it was a scheduling error, if it wasn't intended, or what the hell ever. I cannot 
fucking believe they had the gall somehow, some way to have silver haired mastered ultra instinct as fucking video game DLC released <laughs> in the goddamn episode. It premieres on fuck you into oblivion. We're a professional podcast. We're, we're ready to have a real conversation. So, uh, so this was, this is just one of those things where it's Toriyama had his idea for it and Toei went and did this and Toei was right on this one. I'm just sitting here hearing all of this, like you're throwing so much criticism at Ultra Instinct and it's my favorite part oh, of the arc. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold I, on, hold on. But that's the crazy thing. Like that's not true. I actually really do love Ultra Instinct. Yeah, I love Ultra Instinct. I think Ultra Instinct is the best transformation we've had since two. Yeah, but like I, I literally, I don't, I don't care. I like, I like both versions. Yeah, okay, I prefer the the darker head one, I think. But like, holy crap, do I love Ultra Instinct as uh, and the way it was handled in the show. Yes, I think, I, I think the fact that they kept repeating things was actually a benefit for that form. Seeing a form spawn in the tournament and having Goku have to sort of learn and progress that and finally master it for the finale was just yes i love that stuff that's what i've wanted for ages i love seeing people earn something especially in in stuff like this and that's what made the tournament at least a little bit interesting for me there was some that was that was the through line that we keep talking about for this arc for me that that just this you know we're trying to to master something here and okay it probably could have done being handled a lot better yeah that's my problem that wasn't really a struggle i guess but it just, I mean, I just, just seeing it, you know, keep happening and, and him getting, uh, I guess, more comfortable with it was, was really, really cool. The first time it's introduced is amazing. The second time it's used against Kefla, uh, that, again, amazing scene. Wonderful. Oh, my God. He's riding the key blast. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Not only do we get this really cool form with this really cool move, we also get an actual, like, he's using the beam to ride. Oh, my God. So... That was awesome. The issue we find is that, okay, where do you go from here and still have Goku be relevant? Because he's, there's, at some point, he's got to be exhausted. He's got to be removed. He's got to be pulled back and other people have to step in until he can. I'm exhausted watching him. Yeah, exactly. And that was the problem is that. Nope, Goku never gets to take the back seat and actually recover. And and that's my problem with the whole stamina thing is that. Yeah, um, there's got to be a point where a character breaks down. There has to be a point where a character literally can't go on anymore and has to be covered or helped. And Goku kind of gets that, but it never sticks. He's constantly like, no, I'm back on my feet, and I'm God, and I'm blue, and I'm instinct again. Let's do it. (laughs) But what's so annoying is that Vegeta gets that. He has that moment where he's just, it's just like the weakest punches against Jiren towards the end because he has nothing left. Oh, it's him that gets that for some reason. Oh, oh yeah, because... 100% 100% agree. Okay, let's wrap up Ultra Instinct, because if we're going to talk about Vegeta, i got to talk about Vegeta. So, Ultra Instinct, um, really cool concept. The idea of, like, oh, he's only master dodging, he needs to master the offense, was really cool in concepts. But if I had to be honest, the moment he went full, it lost all impact for me. Because at that point, he's just strong and fast now. Way to go. I took moderate flack, I'd say, during the Future Trunks arc uh, for for liking Trunks' Super Saiyan rage, if you want to call it that, transformation, and feeling like uh, they didn't explain it, but they didn't need to explain it because everything you needed to know was explained between the lines, and I was good with that. I thought that was good storytelling, was that they showed me things and I felt things. And then we get Vegeta's transformation here, and 
isn't it essentially the same thing where they just they even did tell us more than they did in the future trunks arc uh, and that's the result and i i don't know how i feel about it though uh so i like i'm self-admittedly hypocritical here about it i guess it's dumb as hell and i hate it same it's I don't it's, it's, it's it looks it awful all. it has no explanation it is the next form of blue what the fuck does that even mean what does that mean and what is that aura oh it's so ugly it's the absolute like it, it is the probably the biggest epitome more than anything else i've seen in this entire show of hey here's another separate card we can make here's another separate form we can have in xenoverse 3 when you know, we okay, fucking so you, eventually do that you, and i'm just like guys give me a break well i entirely agree with you here i mean go back to what you mentioned earlier with Ultra Instinct debuting as DLC doesn't it at least fall in line with everything Vegeta is which is just I'm going to get stronger that is what I do I will just get stronger now forget Kakarot's method I'm going to get stronger I mean yeah sure if we want to if we want to say that it is thematically uh, accurate to his character, you know, the way that he's been shown, yeah, no, that that's cool. The transformation's still done. Because here's the thing, I'd like, to, I'd like to go back to Super Saiyan 3 real quick. Super Saiyan 3 is a really interesting transformation because we don't even know how Goku gets it. Like, there's no explanation. Boom, Super Saiyan 3. No eyebrows, but I lose strength real quick, so I gotta end this quickly. <laughs> that's Super Saiyan 3, and that, that's neat. I'm like... But it's also kind of dumb. But it's neat because at least it's got a big visual change and a there's something to it that makes it unique. He loses stamina very quickly. Okay, cool. It there may not be an explanation, but at least there's something about the form that's that makes it different. That makes it interesting. That makes it hard to use. So it's like don't just break out Super Saiyan three. Only do it if you need it. Then we get God, which is cool. Um, and then we get Goku. Like, yeah, I I I've made it part of myself and now I can call on it when I need it and that's neat and then blue was very poorly explained it's basically like well what if I went god and then went super saiyan okay I guess that makes sense and then this and then I hated I'm sorry I hated super saiyan ikari I think super saiyan rage is was was bad and poorly explained and there's it makes no sense because it's like well what is it no, but really, what is it, though? It's He's just angry? Yeah, that was called Super Saiyan 2 back when <laughs> Gohan did it. What's the point? <laughs> so it's like, and now we have this form, and it's just Super saying, well, here's the new form for the character. But unlike Ultra Instinct, where we actually gave a purpose for its existence and actually have a, a, a way that it works to improve the fighting... This is just more powerful. It didn't amount to anything because by the time we got to it, he was about to be out. I was going to say, what did he do in that form? He transformed and then what? Did he blow himself up and that was it? I can't, all of those final episodes going to blur together. So I don't, I don't even know what happened. Well, this right here gets into the, I just blank, but actually I'm blank. Uh, We're going to see that with 17 later, but here they even tried to drive the point home with uh, Kai flashback footage. And I still can't tell if it's because they think we're that dense or if it genuinely wasn't that obvious what they were trying to go for. Yeah, no, that, by the way, I've I've heard some people be like, dude, Vegeta got to take out Topo. Okay, that's great. Um, Did nobody notice that they literally just ripped off his biggest moment and maybe the entire show? The biggest disappointment for me in all this with regarding both uh, his battle with Topo, the, the explosion thing, the new form, is it also culminated in a bad execution of a, another character that I liked, and I'll, we'll get to Topo soon, uh, in, in terms of how he was finished off. And then 
similarly, Vegeta gets one of the, at least to me anyway, one of the lamest fucking, and now I'm off the stage, bye, like, things of all of them. It was like, it was like probably the, if not one of the most unceremonious, like, being thrown off the stage things in the whole fucking thing. I know we want to talk more about the characters. There's so many characters to talk about. Um, but at this point, we're like two hours and we have to move on to some other things. Uh, there, there are a couple of things that we could talk about with Kitaro and uh, how that was coming up. And is that part of the break that maybe we're going to be having? But then there are things like the original uh, Blu-ray and DVD listings that initially went up to episode 133. And then that changed episode 131, which says... They, they definitely had to change their production at some point. And then we get things like episodes 128, 129, 130, where uh, maybe, AJ, you can talk a little bit about some of the repeated animation. But then also there, there were just these episodes toward the end of the show somehow where to me it just felt like literally nothing was happening during like the penultimate episode of the show in ways. Oh my Lord. Dude, 129, I've never been so upset in my life. I've seen I've seen recap episodes with more unique animation than that episode. And there's a finale episode. Come on. I mean, I, I, w- I was surprised enough that we were, because I was really expecting there to be like at least a full episode of like, and now we're back on Earth and blah, yeah. blah, blah, and where everything, life is back to normal or something and uh, not so much. Well, at this point in our character discussion, we're definitely going whole hog into the doesn't this arc suck guys while simultaneously saying weren't some of these moments super awesome guys but also some of the moments weren't super good like i'm so conflicted oh yeah no there that's the one thing i'll say about this arc is that when it was on it was on but when it was off it was off right and i don't know maybe i feel like i just need more time to reflect on the arc as a whole, because I haven't been constantly rewatching it or anything. I don't know when when I'm gonna go back to it, uh, but you're, you're totally right. Like I do love a lot of those cool moments, but again, that goes back to what we were saying. Where if it's just a series of cool moments, is that <laughs> a series? I don't know. Super tried during the Goku Black arc to have this big story, this important story with lore and detail and all that stuff. Like my personal opinion is. The Goku Black arc is the best arc of all of Dragon Ball Super. By a mile. Yes, because it tried to do something with its lore, with its universe, with its ideas. It tried to do something with its past and its future. It was like heavily flawed, but it tried to do these great new original things. This arc's fan service. But it was so, but Scott, it was so close. It was. So, it had so many. Okay, you know what? You know what? Fuck it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go I ahead. Get go into ahead. This thing now. I want to talk about Jiren and Topo. And before I get into that, real quick, uh, Mike, can you explain a little something? This is an excerpt from the, one of the recent interviews that you guys translated about how Toriyama created Jiren Topo and Dispose Designs and had uh, some information about what their uh, personalities were, how they kind of came to be. Can you like kind of briefly go over the two of them? Well, there's kind of two parts to this, and one of them we mentioned earlier, but just to be a little more specific, when we first got the initial preview sneak peek at the Universe Survival arc, uh, there were scenes in that trailer that were later used as is in the actual show. Like, it was real animation from the show. One big change that was made is when you see Universe 11, you see the cloaked figure, it's clearly Jiren underneath there in the trailer, and that was changed to a much larger character that ended up being 
Topo later in the actual television series when it aired. And so then on top of that, Chris, what I think you're mentioning is uh, this is an interview that recently went up on the Dragon Ball official site right ahead of the show ending. And it's with producer Satoru Takami and series director Ryota Nakamura. And they say how in Toriyama's original draft, there was nothing indicating Jiren's personality. And on the Toei production side, they said, well, since we had tough opponents in Super uh, that had been nihilistic and cool like Hit and Zamasu, they thought it would be cool to make Jiren a talkative one. So they came up with him as being the hero of justice and he was going to be central to the heroes. And then when they brought that to Toriyama, he replied, Jiren is a character who doesn't speak. And so it was then that Toriyama gave them the backstory. And that's something we didn't get until the very last couple episodes of the show. And that's what made this just so bizarre. Yeah, God, that was like, uh, fuck, when was that? Like I said, all of these like last episodes just blurred they do. totally for me. But yeah, it, w- it was definitely one of those things that was yeah, just like, yeah. okay, now it's Jiren's time to have his moment, uh, his uh, Sasuke's backstory. It was, Enjoy. Yeah, it was introduced in like the last six episodes because what had happened was they had uh, basically shown you Topo and his whole deal. So they were like, oh shit, we really need to give something about Jiren because he's about to be the final guy. And the idea was, oh yeah, he basically he's all in the pursuit of strength while forsaking actual relationships. Which, by the way, not bad, not a bad character dynamic to take. Like that is not like, especially if you want to compare that to Goku. So here's the thing. First of all, Scott, you were talking about the Vegeta versus Tupo battle. Um, the last about like five or six months worth of episodes, my girlfriend and I have been watching together on Saturday nights, and literally, I remember laughing my ass off slash crying almost when she made the point of, "Wow." This Tuppo turning into a God of Destruction thing is so genuinely awesome. What a really, really cool idea for a final boss fight that isn't the final fight. Shrug, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I'm going to go ahead and say, I am the fucking, like, cheerleader jumping up and down fucking number one fanboy for Tuppo. I loved him. I thought he was super fucking fun and cool and different than the other kind of adversarial characters that we have. I fucking detest Jiren. Well, isn't that basically everything we're talking about, where it's Toriyama's got this base outline, this sketch, the overarching plot points. Here, Toei, go make a show. And they make a show, and they come to him and say, Toriyama-sensei, here's our show. And he says, no, actually, you're going to do it this way. Like, maybe that can't sustain a long-form production this way. You know what my favorite scene with Jiren is in the entire series? And this was a point of contention, because I've heard people hate this scene, and I think it is the best thing we got out of Jiren. When he tries to blow up the spectators. We, 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 okay, Frost tried to blow, like, but that was after he was, like, that was after he already got, like, uh, knocked off. So it's like, and he tried to attack inside the ring. C- kind of different, in different circumstances. Because the reason that Jiren attacking the, st- attacking the, uh, the audience even mattered in the first place, he did it out of desperation because of his ideals had been crushed. And I know that seems like it's so late in the game, but in that one moment, that one moment we saw something that could have been an actual character, a man whose entire philosophy is suddenly crushed in front of him, that he reacts in an evil manner. What he does there is evil. He tries to kill a bunch of innocent people because he's angry and he lashes out. That's why I didn't like it. It felt so at odds with his character and not and not in a good way. I didn't I didn't buy that at all. I didn't I didn't feel like what you just described was conveyed at all to me. If, I mean if it, if it, if it had then sure I might have liked it. But I did, I just I didn't get that. No, no, but here's the thing. I'm looking at it as the perspective of what they were trying to do 
And in that regard, right. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, no, that, like, as an idea, that works. In practice, it didn't work all that much. I had to think about why that would work. In that one moment, they had a potential. They could have done something with Jiren of being this character with ideals that Goku would have to break down. But since we get it so late, and he's such a wall for 99% of his actual appearance, it rings hollow because it's it's an afterthought. Right, exactly. And so, like, I, I guess I had a similar feeling in the final episode. And I, I think the final episode is incredible. Yeah. And, and, and and the thing that really stood out to me was that moment where Topham and Jiren are talking about trust and they have that little bond. And I I like that. I think that that works really well. But it doesn't... It doesn't have the big emotional impact I think it should do because there's no real there's no real attempt to build any sort of dynamic between those two at all throughout this tournament. I feel like if there had been at least a little uh, something, and I mean obviously we're supposed to believe that you know there's there's history between these characters. You maybe wouldn't necessarily see that within the tournament, but as far as creating a, a story goes, you, you need you, something you at least. Here's the thing. So one of the worst missed opportunities, because again, this came down to having to make sure there's big action scenes and big dramatic moments in every episode. They never show you what happened back in their universes. They never, the, the, the biggest we ever get is Rip Rianne. The The suit and tie we got with Universe 11. Oh was yeah. Actually, <laughs> was actually kind of great. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's the interesting thing is we get a look, a single look at a couple different universes, universes that end up playing a huge part, but it's their afterthoughts. They're, they're, oh wait, we need to give some flavor. So here's yeah. some sugar. Just pour some sugar in there. A complex flavors? No, no, no. Just sugar. Well, That's you, what you they mentioned do. missed opportunities. This is the thing I have been saving my energy for, not just these last three hours, but the last several, several, several weeks. Okay. So this has to do with Jiren and Tupo, but this also has to do with this arc as a whole. So way back in the very beginning when we were talking about the basic concept of this, one of the biggest things that everybody, including people who love and hate Goku at the moment, you know, whether it's the cool thing to do or not, one of the biggest things of intrigue that people were blown away by was the fact that that the premise of this arc is Goku tremendously fucks up and places all of existence, supposedly, at risk. Now, I'm not going to get into... I'm I'm just going to say right here as a side note, yes, it is fucking stupid and really disappointing that ultimately none of that mattered. Duh, they were going to wish all the universes back. But, but... The intrigue of, oh my god, Goku's Goku-ness, his drive to want to push himself and battle strong foes, has placed all of existence in danger, was a thing that everybody, everybody across the board was like, oh my god, this is so incredibly interesting and different and cool. And Goku's not a villain for doing this, he's Goku. For Goku, for doing yeah, this. this is absolutely where he and we were always heading. But then that takes yeah, us into yeah. the twist of the arc, because they do tell us the entire time that erasing universes was part of Zeno's plan here. I actually liked it and you'd think I wouldn't, but guess what? You know what? You know what I know? You know what any Dragon Ball fan knows? They were always going to wish the fucking We have these two sides back. on it what where it this is the natural extension on where this is the only place Goku's character could have gone this arc. In some ways doesn't this go all the way back to Dragon Ball chapter 1? Like does anything matter? The Dragon Balls can resurrect people. Zeno can just do whatever they want and undo everything. Is the journey still worth it? I actually personally believe that inclusion made this better. Okay, so you're right. The Dragon Balls can do anything. You know, in my in, in the show, in Abridged, we've been making the joke a lot lately that death has no consequence. 
Um, and that's been a that's been a joke in Dragon Ball for a long, long time. So whoever wins gets a wish on the Dragon Balls. So it's not just about survival, but it's also about that wish. Okay, that means everything's going to get wished back. All right, cool. Well, all right. Yeah, I'll I'll enjoy everything else in the meantime because there was no way that they were just going to have all those universes be erased. That's just not what Dragon Ball does, even with the terrible ending that is Goku Black. They're not just going to leave them all erased. So I'm like, okay, whatever, I'll just watch, and I'll watch Goku win or Goku lose, and they still somehow wish everyone back. All, and all four I, I of had us no idea how it was gonna end. came into this arc expecting, yeah, everyone's coming back, right? Yeah, yeah. And, right. and, and, yeah, of course. On. Of absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So no, that that was and never so, an issue. And that's something we came to terms with. As fans, we come to terms with unless otherwise stated, unless otherwise made a point. Like when Bulma died in the future, oh shit, Bulma's dead. And here, oh, it's like, yeah, okay, no, the universes are coming back. So when we hear that, oh yeah, by the way, if you had made any other wish, you'd all been gone. I was like, oh shit. Like so Right. So it, like that's cool. Yeah, it's like, oh god damn, there was actually a something we didn't know about. Like, that's great. I'm like, oh man, there was a whole thing we had no idea. Like, and I think yeah, we all expected them to come back, and I and I think the Zeno twist is is cool because we now have this very sort of morally ambiguous god ruling over everything, and that's that's cool. That's that's a great you know a great addition to this world. But I I kind of also disagree with this idea that. Because obviously in the past, the Dragon Balls, you know, they exist. They're going to make everything better. I feel like Toriyama did a very good job of making you kind of forget that or putting obstacles in the way of that to the point where you can actually create some sort of tension. There is some sort of uncertainty when when these big dramatic stories are happening, whether that be like in the Saiyan arc where, you know, these characters have died before, can't bring them back. Or then when you get to Namek and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. And again, with the Buak, like there's this... Even though it's not necessarily... No matter what, there was always an amount of suspense that was maintained because he always knew how to throw a curveball that made things more complicated. Exactly, exactly. Like, And that's why the Goku Black arc had so many cool things happening. It's like, I do think you're right. I do think Toriyama had a better way of setting stakes and making you really wonder how things were going to turn out. Um, no, of course. I went into this like probably most people with a brain knowing that the universes were going to be wished back. I'm sure it was fun to theorize towards the end about the twist of, oh, maybe Frieza will do some crazy come from behind bullcrap or whatever. But it was very unlikely for that to happen. I never got my hopes up. I always knew it was going to be all the universes get wished back, whether it was by Goku or otherwise, of course. So here's the thing. I mentioned earlier in, in, in how my tastes have changed and how I've, I've, I've learned to grasp that shonen is not an, an inherently deep genre, etc. But Mike, you and I, of course, we've talked a little bit about, we, we did the, the core themes of Dragon Ball uh, discussion topic a while back, which was really cool. And we talked about how even though it is, a, a, it is the epitome of Shonen, it's him flying by the seat of his pants, but in the in the in the depths of his of Toriyama's brilliance as an artist, there were consistent lessons throughout the this the entire manga story of Dragon Ball, consistent core themes that were really solid. And here's the thing. The, the reason I opened up with that bit about, oh, this is so interesting, this concept of how Goku was responsible for this thing happening and everything. I, I want you guys to think about this for a minute, and, and also how I was tying this in with the Jiren and Tapo stuff. You have a team of characters who, save for a couple of them, are all consisting of characters that either started out as assholes or killers or supervillains, right? 
those are our heroes are all characters that, that with pretty much the exception of Gohan and I guess Roshi, which is also part of why in retrospect, I'm like, hmm, but it would have been cool to have on there too in addition to Frieza. Comparing, and I probably said this in the, the Shampa arc stuff, comparing Hit to Jiren. Hit started out as boring. What made Hit interesting was that similarly, Goku changes him by getting him to be going from a cold assassin to, hey, you know what? I actually enjoy martial arts. I enjoy fighting. That was the cool kind of thing that happened with him that made him likable. Well, let's hit huh? that real quick. There's just something about Hit, or rather there was something about Hit that made him ever so slightly more then, interesting yeah. in a character uh, during yeah. that journey to ultimately knowing more about him. Uh, as opposed to Jiren, where it took literally until the last episode of the show where Jiren smiles and decides he likes the big fight yeah. against others and thinks there's more than just being his own individual fighter. And I can't really articulate it, but there's just something that separates Hit and Jiren, and Hit is just slightly more interesting. Sure, no, there it. there is. Yeah, even if we can't describe it, no, you're you're right. I agree. And things we've I, I said before about missed opportunities. The most consistent thing we've had in all three hours of this discussion are like, oh, like this could have been cool. This is a thing that was leading up to, like, could have been interesting, and it just didn't quite execute. The biggest thing to me, the big. I, all of this stuff, every single one of these fucking things we've talked about, I could have forgiven. There was one thing. They had all of the elements of this aligned up, and it could have been so, again, not necessarily deep, but just, just fucking cool. You have our heroes who are virtually, for the most part, mostly people that used to be villains or assholes or whatever, bad people, and the antagonists, the the build main antagonists of yeah. this series are the fucking Justice League. You have people who are like, and even though perhaps there is some good in you people, however, we fight for justice and we are fighting for the survival of our universes, and as far as we know right now, only one of us gets to go fucking home. The things that could have been done with that setup are in insurmountably amazing and absolutely fucking none of those things were done. Like, they were so close. There were so <laughs> many moments throughout so many... I'm, I'm, I'm like full on, like seriously, this is how fucking into this I am. I have wanted to express this for fucking months upon months upon months and even to the last fucking episode it didn't come through to me. And I know, I know, Mike Lucas, if you're still listening, you're fucking right. I am accepting too... I, I'm expecting too much of Dragon Ball, but I swear to God, it, all of this stemmed from the elements were there and they were so close and there could have been so many things so fucking interesting with Jiren, with Topo, with fucking all of them. It was, it was right fucking there and they didn't happen. At that point, we're kind of talking about the end of the show. And if we're talking about the end of the show, we have to talk about the twists of this arc. It, it turns out I didn't explode and here I am and I'm the winner. I mean, I loved it, but that was a huh kind of thing. That's weird. Uh, so, like, we don't know what uh, the Grand Priest can see. Um, we know that the androids can't be felt, so it's like, hey, 17 blew up. Okay, I, I can't feel him. He must be gone. <laughs> All right. But if you want my honest opinion, I liked it. I was like... Oh yeah, you can't sense him. I, I, I'm the same. Like it's it's the one part of this arc where I actually went, 
oh, holy shit, that's that's actually surprised me. It was like the memes are, were right. <laughs> Next time I'm expecting Hit to show up now. Like it's it, close. It, it was like it was like that one moment where I was like, okay, that I'm I'm surprised. But then when he sacrificed himself, like a couple of episodes before, I was like, I really don't care about this at all. This is really dumb. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the way it came about, I didn't like. The fact it happened was cool. So yeah, I don't I really don't know where I stand on that. This sort of gets back to the strength stuff I was talking about earlier, where in some ways I'm like I'm reveling in the ha, huh, they didn't tell us anything and, and people can just do things. Isn't that fantastic? Your equations don't work. But then part of me is like, well, no, you, you said you were going to explode and then like everyone did and then you weren't. And then, huh? Nothing about it makes sense in any way whatsoever. And I'm so conflicted, but I think I like it. Well, that I think that's totally fine because we never see him. The, the explosion as it is, is barely shown to us. And then he's just gone. The, the him like that was a plan of his he planned on no doing he that. didn't because he said well lols i guess i didn't blow up i was gonna say there was no explanation yeah he just kind of <laughs> pops up and they're like how and he's like i don't know <laughs> shit happens to me to me it just seemed it just seemed like a twist for the sake of a twist like for the sake of being different like oh isn't that this is like about as unpredictable as we can be is having 17 be the one to make the wish that would have been wished by no matter who it was that was in the last standing like i mean for for all for all i know like because they've already kind of implied also not to go too into this but that the manga version is going to be a little bit different as they're just beginning the actual fight in the tournament of power in the manga adaptation i'm expecting for it to just be a different character for the sake of oh look it's different even though they wish for the same thing but it's different isn't that such a crazy twist Ooh, uh whatever no i think it'll be 17 as well I feel like the fact we got like a new design from Toriyama and they made a big deal about him. It, I I feel like that's one thing that's very set in stone. I don't know if you could have anyone else because I guess part of that, even though even though it you you cannot sell it to the audience at all at this point in the tournament, but there's that little hinge. Hey, this guy used to be a bad guy, so will he make the right decision or not? Uh, which is when you that's why you get that line from 18 that everyone's gone what the fuck were you thinking writing that that doesn't make any sense where she's like are you really gonna you know make this wish it's like come on so that's 17 but if we're talking about twists we definitely have to talk about frieza who is just twist after twist after twist in this tournament from trying to get recruited with other universes to uh, working directly with frost to donating energy to goku to hiding for the last quarter of the tournament uh, all the way up to being brought back to life uh aj having frieza back yeah what else do you do with him here, right? Yeah, I honestly, I, I have pretty much no issues with how Frieza was handled. I, I think never in my life have I been happier to be wrong after ranting and raving about them bringing him back. I was so upset. Uh, I f it was interesting. Like I feel like this was bringing Frieza back to life. Uh, bring, sorry, well, bringing Frieza back into things uh, done right. Like I mean, we we've spoken a lot about how much we hate things, but I I kind of loved. Um, first of all, I mean, we, we spoke about this a little bit earlier on, but like just the interactions with different people, like the, the stuff with Frost was really great. That episode wasn't very well animated or directed, but it was ridiculously entertaining. I love that stuff. Like him and Gohan as well. Uh, obviously the end as well. Yeah, Gohan as well. Yeah, that was great. Oh, yeah, actually. Yeah, Fre Frieza, I think, was overall a very satisfyingly executed aspect of this whole arc, like as a whole between he was unpredictable enough and like very much in character in that entertaining way it was he was interesting all the things happening with him well especially also and not to get too much into this either but knowing uh, the vague information we have about this movie coming out as well and frieza exists at this point 
I'm sure there will be some factor. I'm sure there was probably some production-related decision on how they were going to lead him towards the end and everything. Well, well, I would say Frieza, to me, was the most satisfying overall twist, like just his general execution of, like, like not literally, uh, figuratively. Uh, the, the, the least satisfying in combination with all this was just, like, the what does and does not matter. The fact that, like, oh, I would have done this anyway, even if Goku didn't suggest it to me. Oh, I would have, like, done this even if, if unless somebody did wish this or whatever. Like, that that was frustrating, but again, and the reason I had that whole incredibly fucking <laughs> emotional breakdown I had a minute ago, <laughs> um, the reason that I, that I could have forgiven all of that and would have been like, all right, whatever, is just if... The pieces that they laid out with all these characters, the, 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 all of these things could have been done more interesting. They could have been like, they, they just could have been done better and arranged in a way that could have been really different and cool. But look, look, can we all just personally agree that everything in this arc was worth it just for Frieza to yell, throw me at him? That yeah. was the coolest <laughs> fucking thing. Yeah, Scott, you've reminded me because, uh, well, well, why don't we perhaps end this with saying what was something that we actually did like about overall like our favorite moment, our favorite thing about this entire arc as a whole. I think one of the aspects that I liked so much about it is the thing I'm so conflicted on and feel so hypocritical about. It's kind of what I've criticized the show for is being a series of climax after climax, cool moment after cool moment. But I did enjoy so many of those cool moments. Like, I don't know how to reconcile that. I mean, I I got I got called out by some dude on Twitter earlier when I was like, yeah, this dragged on to the point where I was wishing it would end. Truth be told, I loved the final episode. It's totally fair to like that final episode. I did too. But I mean, the arc as a whole, it's not like that episode reflected the- Oh yeah, I'm not saying I only liked the final episode. But what I'm saying is I actually loved it. And that, yeah. you know, I couldn't have loved that final episode if other things hadn't worked out. And there were things that worked. I remember early on when we had, uh, you know, everybody was introducing themselves. We were getting a feel for each of the universes. And before people started getting knocked out, we did get some neat character moments. I remember the stuff with Krillin in 18. I really liked that. Like, it was it was small, but it was, it was, it was personal. Yeah, that stuff was good. It was cute. Cause yeah, that, I agree. That I agree. stuff I liked. And, oh, my God. We haven't even talked about 18 taking out Ribrianne. I loved that. That was Oof, the that was that was fucking absolute <laughs> wrath level yeah. motherfucking just. Yeah. Ribrianne is, is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like actually, like TBH, Ribrianne was around for too long. Yeah, God. The fact that she was in like the special for some reason for like quite an extended amount of time was a bit like, uh, okay, sure, fine. <laughs> like let's let's we all talked about how much we actually liked the uh, the recruitment arc and the exhibition arc. Those had some cool things that got us really excited. And personally, I think the beginning of the tournament arc had some really cool stuff. I, I loved the little character moments. I thought they were really good. It's just, unfortunately, if I, I think it falls apart after Ultra Instinct is introduced. Not because of it, but during that time is where you literally start to go downhill. You hit this big mid-season climax, but it was the middle of the season. And at some point, it got exhausting. And they had to wrap everything up. I feel like the second part of the arc is where the writing fell apart because they were trying to wrap 40 characters on a battlefield up and still make it all seem so relevant and and, and, and cohesive. 
There are cool things about this arc. They all come down to the characters getting these really neat moments, getting to share screen time that they never gotten to share before, and some amazing art and animation. I just think that it has as many valleys, if not maybe more, than it has peaks. But those peaks are there. Those peaks are cool. Those peaks are badass. Yeah, it's just, it, it's it's frustrating for me because, I mean, Dragon Ball Super as a whole is pretty much a lesson in how to not make an anime from <laughs> pre-production to the, you know, like, the, the, I mean, the terrible, like, I, don't take that the wrong way if you're a massive fan of the show, but you, you cannot argue that the pre-production was abysmal. You know, some of the, the stuff broadcast during the Resurrection F retelling was honestly some of the worst stuff I've ever seen aired on TV. Resurrection F is a trash pile. And, right. uh, And so, like, even when we got to the new stuff with, like, the Universe 6 tournament, it was still falling to pieces a little bit. We got to the Future Trunks arc, and it picked up a lot, and then it fell to pieces at the end. We got to this arc, and it felt like... It felt like it got revamped, which we obviously spoke about right at the beginning of this podcast. And it felt like mm-hmm. it felt like everything that had come before was like this alpha version or beta version of the show. And we just and we just started getting into what Super could maybe have been. And this was super messy. They were trying to find their footing and whatever. And then it ended. And I guess I feel so empty because it, it feels like there should be more. And, and and we know there will be more, really. I mean, realistically, it's, it will come back, of course. I mean, the, the narration at the end was so, so averse. I mean, so, AJ, you, I, and Heath, we, we talked about the actual financials from Toei and Bandai Namco. There is no way that Dragon Ball is going away from television specifically for a super <laughs> extended period of time. Exactly. There is no reason to not bring it back. So, like, that's my thoughts on, like, the production of the show. Like, like it, it was obviously this this big, slow, gradual build up to something that almost resembled a competent anime. And so, like as far as um, as far as the story goes, I think the whole peaks and valleys thing is such a great way to talk about it. Like the for me, watching Super towards the start, I was like, oh my god, are we really are we really doing this? Because like, it, it it felt like to me that the only the only positives during those retellings was just like little things here and there that only kind of improved on what we'd seen in the films and everything else was just infinitely superior then we got the universe six well, arc it sounds to me like we're getting into the kind of cliche gt thing where it's oh good idea bad execution um see i i a lot of people repeat that but when i watched gt i think about a year or two ago now i didn't even really like the ideas much and actually found the sort of production side as far as that goes to be executed fairly well whereas super i i feel like it's 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 really really mixed and and so i think i think as far as its highs go talking about the the peaks i feel like they far surpass at least visually and i guess in, in some ways with the narrative they far surpass anything that we ever saw in the previous series uh, 100 percent with the animation um, I know that's been such a hot top, a hot talking point, but like the the big animated scenes in this series are really up there. I mean, they nothing in the prior series compares at all. So in that sense, that's that's awesome. The my thoughts on like the story of this arc as a whole. I was saying during one of the pee breaks we had was that it's so hard to it's so hard to talk about this arc as a whole because. I instinctively just want to be really negative and write it off entirely. And I think that's, I guess we've kind of done that for the past, like, I don't know, four hours now or so. Um, the, the positives that we find and the positives that I find in the arc 
are these moments. There are these there are these details, whether it be uh, like Scott was saying, the the interaction between eighteen and and Krillin towards the start, or like all the crazy you know beam grinding Kamehameha moments, and and like the final two episodes and stuff like that. That's all amazing stuff. And you know we have Goku meeting seventeen and fighting him in the recruitment episodes. We have the cool stuff with Krillin and Goku. Like there's there are loads of amazing moments in this arc. But as a whole, trying to put that all together and reconcile it as a full story, it doesn't it doesn't hold water, it doesn't come together, it's not it's not good. And I think I think if people are listening to this and they think we've and then they think the overall vibe is super negative, it's because it's it's so difficult to talk about this episode positively as a whole without essentially going episode by episode by episode because this arc is designed uh, episodically it's 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 so hard to convey f- my, my feelings on this and I, I i think i know especially the way you specifically have been covering the show uh episode animation breakdowns and, and I, I appreciate you coming to this as a more uh comprehensive holistic whole it, it's got to be difficult to approach it that way uh yeah no i th- getting to do this was a joy as far as the show itself I, I'll, I'll say this much actually my my comments a long time ago in, in the beginning of this discussion about how i'm rewatching the the Zamasu stuff on on Toonami with the dub and everything and like the whole time I'm like I know none of this matters I know the twists already whatever blah 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 that said and and you know what probably the sad thing to admit is that at the end of this uh I'm I'm enabling exactly what Toei has always been doing and that I'm like at the end of the day regardless of all of my criticisms and my thoughts and my complaints whether they're justified or otherwise I still absolutely fucking love these characters. I love seeing them get to have funny shit with each other and cool fight scenes and interesting shit that happens with all of them. And and even I've noticed this about a lot of shows that I rewatch in particular. That's why I say I, I'm talking about and watching the stuff on uh, and the dub airing as well. Is like when I rewatch, I feel like I actually do make or break whether or not I'm appreciating it or like realizing, oh, wow, this wasn't as good as I thought it was the first time I watched it. And I think that actually with Dragon Ball in general, in particular with just like following Super these last couple of years, it's made me realize a lot about my tastes and what I can and cannot take from things and what I think is legitimately good to me, what isn't, uh, you know, what I can take and learn for my own storytelling devices, etc. You know, what it is that is just raw, pure entertainment, what is something that is profound to me, etc. It's made me certainly like reanalyze and, and learn a lot about my own tastes and things that are part of my childhood and my adulthood in in a, in and in, in an overall positive way and you know i think that just reminding myself of like god i love dragon ball i love these characters i love this franchise i love getting to be part of it warts and all aggravation and all arguments and criticisms and bullshit and all well jumping off that and i've done this for a couple key episodes and it's usually for a a cool animated scene but maybe i want to hear from aj specifically uh how much do you re-watch of these episodes because in general i mostly just watched the arc straight through and then obviously i've got consensual work going on as well but it was mostly a single viewing for me I was going to say, I watch each episode like three times each week. <laughs> I love Dragon Ball. And while Super was really up and down, I'm at least glad that it gave us all some things to cheer about and things to talk about. And I'm really glad that I got to do this with you guys tonight. And if any of you guys at home disagree with our opinions on this, whether it be the things that we liked or the things that we disliked, it's cool if you liked it or you didn't like it. And remember that 
it's this is just us. So if you disagree, that's fine. And I hope you did enjoy it more than we did, because that means you probably got a hell of a lot out of it. I mean, everyone's everyone's getting sappy now, so I feel like I have to say, like, it, as far as Super's impact on me, obviously, it's it's given me this new career job, which is which is great, and and it's also like allowed me to to share a passion to the point now where I'm like, I can go on any kind of clip from the show and see people talking about the animators in the comments section, which is unbelievable, and you really don't see that with many shows. Most people just talk about budget and, and studios and stuff like that. So to see people really take an interest in that stuff is amazing. So as far as the sappiness goes, I mean, that's that's the best thing that could have come out of Super for me. Um, as far as my thoughts on the show as a whole, uh, man, it's I've enjoyed myself. I'll say that much. It's obviously very inconsistent. I thought, you know, the, the Future Trunks arc was spectacular. I thought this arc was yeah, up and down, mostly negative. But, you know, on the whole, I can't say that I've regretted tuning in each and every week. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't very sad that I hadn't just watched an episode of it tonight. So... I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're Dragon Ball fans and it's and, and, and Dragon Ball fans to the point where it would be weird to not be interested and excited and wanting to see more of something you love. Maybe if it was truly, truly terrible to the point of ruining everything. But I don't I don't think Super was ever at that point. So, yeah, it's it's been a fun journey. And hopefully, you know, the movie is great. And when it does come back, hopefully it's in a much better state on all fronts and the next time we do something like this it'll be uh it'll be a more fun and positive and happy experience so yeah i think that's about it for me as i look back on it it was a fun time but i'm not sure that i like right now want to go back and watch some of it like <laughs> and a lasagna I, i'm not gonna watch that again it was not interesting but it, it's just that same point that we keep bringing up again and again cool scenes cool scenes climax climax and is that even dragon ball it was fine, and I guess I'd watch it again, but like not right now. I need time away. I will come back at some point, but not right now. Everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, whether you're listening to this on my YouTube channel or on the Content You podcast feed or otherwise, I don't know where else would be. Reddit, fuck if I know. Uh, leave a comment. Leave your thoughts. You guys can find all of us at on Twitter, uh, at Kerberfer, at VegitoEx, at AnimeEdge, at KaiserNeko. I'll have links to all of our stuff in the show notes. Uh, on my video, I'll have a link to the podcast feed where you can have uh, the other version with the new intro, maybe a different ending, etc. Um, I, I trust Mike will have a link to my video in the description if you're listening to this in the podcast in case you want to see the dumb the dumb picture that I draw. Uh, so it'll probably be Kerber for doing Ultra Instinct for all I fucking care. Anyway, uh, that's it. That's it for all of us. Thank you all very, very much. Uh, so also, subscribe to Consentu, Anime AJ, and Team Forrester on YouTube. We're all on YouTube as well, which is nice. We're all uniform in that sense. Indeed, that's all of us. Uh, I, nothing more to add. Dragon Ball Super is over. These conversations are over. Uh, here's to the future of Dragon Ball. Uh, looking forward to the new movie. Looking forward to everything beyond.
Well, now that you've listened to hours upon hours of uh, myself and other folks discussing things, I really looked at what we got in from people on Twitter. (laughs) Like, man, we covered maybe two of those questions. There's so much more we want to talk about. And again, we will continue to talk about Dragon Ball Super in the future. But I wanted to hit some of these uh, and I wanted to address something other folks oftentimes say when we do these arc reviews. Like, hey, I want to know what the other Kanzenshu folks think about the arc as well. So, uh, well, Heath was sick. So, Julian, you're my number two choice. Okay, thanks for at least considering me. Wow, that sounds really shitty the way I described it. I didn't mean it that way. I know, Mike. Uh, Julian, I am glad to have you here. The Tournament of Power, Dragon Ball Super, as a show, has concluded. Again, we've just talked about it forever. Lots of questions, though. Kind of interested in hearing what you have to think about stuff. Uh, I really held off on... Uh, saying what I felt about the show. I, as well as I know you, I do not know a single thing about what you think about really Dragon Ball Super as a whole, never mind this arc. Given uh, what you know about my interests in terms of things like Toriyama and the general insights into yeah. the different aspects of production and story, uh, mm-hmm. I think it comes as no surprise that my favorite parts of the series are the stuff that happens in between the big fights. And so the Tournament of Power is not really my thing. That said, I do think there are some very interesting moments, particularly involving things like Kale and Cauliflower, which, frankly, I think, in spite of uh, Kale being a ploy to get Broly fans, I feel like she was actually used fairly well. I think we could have used a bit more of their character interaction, to be honest. Overall, I felt like a lot of the participants, granted there were a lot, were not very well developed beyond fighting, so it was difficult to care whether they win or lost, and a lot of them were just sort of out of the way pretty early on. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like that sets up uh, where we're heading with you here. In light of that, uh, speaking of Cauliflower and Kale, uh, this is kind of a multi-part question, even though it's it's one little question, I feel like it can go in a few ways. Uh, Gogeta-ism on Twitter asks, what's up with the inclusion of fusion being allowed in the tournament? Yeah, how'd you feel about them being like, hey, we've got Potara versus the uh, the other universe that we, we saw a weird fusion of that I did talk about and I <laughs> could not deal with, I had no interest in, versus uh, not seeing maybe Universe 7 doing anything with fusion. Just fusion in general in this tournament. What was your take on how it all played out? Well, I thought the what the robot universe combining together was pretty fun and something I kind of expected to happen, but nevertheless, it makes a fun gag. In, in terms of uh, actual fusion, as uh, Dragon Ball fans know it, um, I was afraid it would end up being like just kind of a cop-out, but I actually thought in terms of the story, it was used pretty effectively with Cauliflower and Kale. It was used to advance their relationship and um, actually made a, a fairly compelling watch, even though I felt like there was a little bit too much of the usual build-up. And that's something that kind of annoys me about Super, is it felt like either because they hadn't had the story written yet or Mm -hmm. they just weren't sure where they wanted to go. There's a fair amount of what feels like filler, even though they don't need it. And I got to say that kind of annoyed me. You are making up this story as you go along. Why, Why do you need all of this stuff that was designed in the original series to keep pace with the comics? It's that kind of thing that bugs me about some of these arcs. I mean, to an extent... It's what the fans have come to expect, and without it, perhaps they feel like it wouldn't feel like Dragon Ball, but to me, that doesn't necessarily equate. And we're getting back on the subject of fusion. Um, I don't mind that, 
just because the tournament rules themselves have always been kind of malleable. I'm always reminded of a show that was on when I was a teenager called what celebrity deathmatch there we go and the oh wow and, and whenever there's something that comes up that's blatantly against the rules the rever the referee shows up and goes i'll allow it and, and to me <laughs> that was kind of the role of of the omni king in this arc you know, whatever's most entertaining they'll just they'll just go with it this isn't a question on the list anywhere but uh i feel like we kind of talked about it in our bigger review and then dropped it before we could really get into things tell me a little bit how you felt about things like we have a yardradian we have a sufrurian that they only mentioned in text outside external to the show itself these races out there and then just kind of being dropped not being addressed in any way i feel like was it jimmy or jimez yeah they did the teleportation and then like that was it there was no man i wonder how a yardradian got over there what's going on with that right. um and it feels to me like sort of poor planning perhaps i mean it's never clear whether they meant to actually develop any of these characters but it's the classic right. situation uh with economy of detail uh the idea of Chekhov's gun if you're going to yeah. mention these things why aren't you using them yeah scott talked about that quite a bit in, in our bigger review uh with lots of plot points here and there and i think these are the ones that killed me the most because they're existing things that we know about it's not just oh here's a race from this planet i mean we had lots of random planet names name right. dropped early in the series as well but we didn't really care about it because oh it's, you know they're they're off in space a, a planet's got to have a name but right. this was a, a race that we knew right Right. And to an extent, I feel like this is sort of classic Toriyama, uh, create these details in his head and see where it goes. But I, I feel like there's a distinction between creating these details for your own concept of what the character is and where it should go versus putting it out there and telling people. Yeah. Because once you tell people, they have an expectation that it's going to go somewhere. And if it doesn't, then they're like, well... What was that all about? And I feel like that's a situ situation that we find ourselves in. One of the similar uh, items to that is the Namekian Book of Legends, where it was, where did that come from? Why would you mention something like that? And then suddenly it came up again in uh, one of those recent interviews. And maybe is that going to play into the movie? These details feel like the kinds of things that could and should be explored in a future Dragon Ball story. But with Dragon Ball Super being cut off here, they just feel like random lost threads. And uh, I feel like that really hurts. And, you know, to an extent, this is something that Toriyama's always done. I feel like because this is something new that we're not approaching as a sort of done, completed deal, we want it to go somewhere. And also mm. approaching the series as adults, we're more cognizant yeah, of sure. things like story continuity. And we, we expect things to have a payoff if there's a setup that kids reading the comic from day to, uh, from week to week you know in the 1980s and early 90s are not necessarily going to have that said it can be really frustrating here's an interesting question from uh cosmos 87 would the series have been better if the survival arc came before the goku black arc obviously you'd have to make some adjustments to have things played out but i think so and that's Cosmos 87 thinking so. Uh, from my perspective, one of the things I was really worried about was, yeah, we had the Trunks arc after the 6 versus 7 tournament, but then to have another tournament right after that, like, yeah, that harkens back to the original Dragon Ball where we kind of did tournament arc, tournament arc for a little bit there, but felt like it was coming too soon uh, and it too, too uh, extensive of repercussions, <laughs> this kind of tournament. I, I wasn't quite ready for it yet. So to then move it before the Goku mm. Black arc, like that would have been a natural lead in, sure, but I don't know. What do you think about that? 
<laughs> I, I feel like having that kind of very bleak ending to the series as whole as a whole. I mean,、mm. I mean, sure the the universe gets resurrected, but it's not the same one that Trunks knew, and yeah, there's yeah. basically another one of him and Mai walking around. It would be really weird to end the series on that note. I mean, sure the Dragon Balls have always resurrected people, but. It's not that sort of situation where literally it's like you're in another timeline, yeah, yeah, or another version of the timeline. Yeah, I I don't agree with it being tacked on the end of the series. As for whether it would make a better fit after the tournament of power in general,、uh, in a way I could see why that might make sense. But I think I prefer to have the series in its existing order and have some sort of denouement arc at the end. Like we need we need、way. some sort of lead in the remaining four 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 and a half years before the tournament that ends. The original series. We had lots of comments about, oh well, obviously the series is heading toward there. That is where Dragon Ball goes. They didn't end up doing anything with that, at least in the TV series. Who knows where Toriyotaro may take the manga?、Right. Uh, that feels like a natural place for him to go、right. in the manga,、uh, especially if we're going to have a new version of the ending. To have Toriyotaro do it feels, in, in some ways, kind of like less intrusive and less. Offensive towards the original ending, even though Toriyama himself already redid it in 2004. Right, and I mean there there is some precedent for that in terms. I mean, it, it obviously it can't quite be equated, but the the new Doctor Slump comic in V Jump that、mm-hmm. ran well started running、um, concurrently with the new Doctor Slump. On television in the, the late '90s,、um, the TV show ends with the birth of Turbo. Oh! But the the comic actually includes some storylines that weren't used for the TV series, whether they intended it to keep going on or what have you. Yeah, but yeah. It, it ended up being replaced by One Piece, which, right, depending on who you <laughs> ask, is a, is a is a big improvement. It worked out well for someone. <laughs> well, to be honest, that 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 version of Doctor Slump is not really my cup of tea. It feels really. Dated in a way that the original series doesn't, even though it's much newer. I feel exactly the same way about a lot of that '90s stuff. A lot of the redos they were trying to do of the era feel that way. This is super cool and awesome. And watching it again twenty years later is like this is so '90s. It hurts. Another thing that feels the same way to me is Bubblegum Crisis. Is it 2040? Something like that. Like whenever you update a show, just give me the original. <laughs>、uh, all right. So we have we have we have more questions.、Uh, lots of people asking about Frieza. I can't even give specific names here. There were so many. Just、uh, him being back. We talked about that in the review.、Uh, lots of people asking just his、uh, his friendship. I don't think is in the right word, but kind of、uh, a convenient camaraderie with everyone.、Uh, did it feel natural enough to you? How do you feel about Frieza not not being part of the group, but you know, like halfway there? Yeah,、I'm, you know, it's kind of weird because on on the one hand, I feel like Frieza's. Politeness is always a kind of facade for his internal machinations. He's always、sure. scheming to try and take the best advantage of it. And if something doesn't go his way, he's more than willing to use a little bit of the ultra violence to do what he wants. But I don't always get that sense from him in this arc, and I don't know whether it's the way that he's written or whether they're just they don't want you getting in his head. But he's always sort of being polite. I do feel like that occasionally it, he's written to make you kind of think that he's he's being nice, but then he ends up doing something 
cruel right, truly that horrible. undercuts that, which which makes sense for the character. But at the sure. end, it's so kind of ambiguous, and I'm not sure I'm I'm entirely behind it. On the other hand, for seventeen, that I, I totally buy that he's he's done being a bad guy. He he has been for a long time, but I'm not sure I I'm willing to give Frieza another chance. What do you think makes Frieza different from, I mean, how is this any different from Vegeta who came to our planet and with, you know, underlings slaughtered a bunch of family and friends. uh, And then in the next arc was uh, an ally out of convenience and was not friendly or nice or truly cared about them uh, all for completely self-serving purposes. Frieza's doing that exact same thing here. Is it just that we know Frieza is that much more cruel, but Vegeta was that cruel early on too. What makes it different? Is it just because we we had the entirety of the series by the time we got into it? It's possible. And also just for the fact that we don't actually see Vegeta do a lot of the things that we actually see Frieza doing. Even when he like slaughters the Namekian village, it's off screen versus Frieza doing it right in front of the camera. To that extent, at the same time, the story sets it up that Vegeta is doing Frieza's bidding. Being a Saiyan, he is not averse to that kind of wholesale slaughter. He's, He's the middleman, so to speak. Can you touch on what you think about the the ending situation where Zeno slash the two Zeno, uh, it was apparently their intent all along to see what would happen with the final wish. And if it wasn't good specifically to bring everyone back, they would have just erased everyone. Uh, do you kind of buy that turnabout as opposed to everything we had seen with them? You, know, you think about their evil glare, even back at their own <laughs> attendant <laughs> early on, uh, never mind some of the other characters and the other gods. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Yeah, I, personally, I, I would just, the way that it's set up, I would just have them go with whatever seems the most fun. And yeah. that, to them, would seem like an interesting choice. Yeah, don't give it a reason. Don't. This is yes. one of those, are they just writing in too many details? I feel like it. Don't make them seem more somehow moral than they are. The whole, the whole point of this is they want to have fun. And this wish is interesting to them because it's a, a choice that they probably wouldn't make. Let's get into one of the classic questions we get asked. If you're going to swap someone out, who would you swap? out from the team and who would you replace them with uh i feel like gotenks would have been if we're gonna do fusion gotenks would have been fun i'm i'm half and half on do i buy what goku and vegeta were kind of talking about goku specifically like oh the, we can't trust the kids yeah the power is one thing but you know kind of their their judgment is not the best in the world uh but if, if if they were willing to bring boo around but i guess they were going for boo's strength oh just like i don't know i i feel like gotenks would have been fun with some of the other fun characters they had out there i don't know who i would have swapped out though maybe i would have swapped out kamisenin as much as i liked some of his scenes and like seeing him back in the action swap out gohan and have yajirobe in there i don't know well i mean the gohan thing is another one of those you're in you're out you're in you're out we care about you we don't care about you we, we haven't decided what to do with you you're back yeah now. well it, it feels like they're not quite sure what to do with the character he decides he's not going to fight anymore he decides he's going to fight no he's not going to fight after all no he's going to fight make up your mind Mind. Well, and I mentioned this earlier in the review, like, but that is classic Gohan writing. So do you just keep doing that? Because that's the thing that defines the character. I don't know. 
I don't know. Well, who else would you have liked to have seen? Arale. <laughs> My alternate Dragon Ball Supers, absolutely. Arale and... Abuchaman. Yeah. Although he's too nice. Uh, I mean, he has he's very strong, but would yeah. he be willing to get in there and, you know, bust some heads if, if right, need right. be? Maybe if he felt Arale was in danger? True, but then we, then we really have to get rid of some of the other good human characters. Yeah. Because they're they're way too overpowered. And if we have Raleigh in there, I mean, ultimately she's going to win. But then she would make a really fun wish on the Super Dragon Balls, and Zeno would be super happy with that. I want a really huge pile of poop on a stick. <laughs> that's 110% what would have happened, so maybe we can't do that. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Did you have any feelings on power creep slash feats slash strength consistency, anything like that? I mean, the way I'm phrasing it, already tells you everything you need to know about me but yeah no whatever whatever's (laughs) most interesting but i don't feel like they always accomplish that in the way that the fights played out Mm -hmm. and especially towards the end it was just like get on with it i don't really care about topo or jiren well topo more so than i care about topo more than jiren jiren hasn't been really set up they give him a really brief sort of backstory towards the end but it's like well I still don't care about him. Speaking of Topo, here's a question from Derek, and maybe we'll end our little uh, appendix here on this one. What do you think about a backwater hick like Goku who risks everyone's lives for a good fight, teaching a life lesson to a superhero? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily buy that, although... Goku has a way of teaching people lessons accidentally, just as sort of incidental to his actual MO, which is, you know, finding strong guys to fight. Right. That's what, that's exactly how I feel about it. it was, that's what happened in the end, but he certainly didn't intend right. to do that. And in that respect, I think that works. Uh, yeah. I, I really wish that Topo had been the, the final person because Jiren is just so uncompelling as a character. I mean, that ties in with a lot of questions we had about what happened with the writing and the production. You even touched upon that yourself. And we talked earlier in the episode about the swap for Jiren to Topo. So th- this will truly conclude our little wrap up here. Right. Uh, how are you feeling now in 2018 about Toriyama's place as an outline artist, sketcher, writer, as opposed to uh, really contributing more of a of a solid outline, because it really feels like these are just bullet points. And as we saw with Toei coming back to him with their own bullet points and him saying, no, more different bullet points, uh, that, that doesn't make a, a full, complete story. Right. Do you want Toriyama to, and this is only 50-50, you can only go one way or the other on this, do you want Toriyama to get more involved, or do you think he needs to just hand it over and let them just do something? Well, I don't necessarily mind his current level of involvement but he says it himself in interviews and part of it may just be typical humility but you know he says he doesn't mind people tweaking his stuff and filling in the gaps and doing whatever as long as it's interesting but i feel like he is a person of such stature that everyone else is afraid to sort of Mm -hmm. monkey with what he's done and then when they do he says no actually do this so you know they're they're kind of in a in a tough spot and i do blame them but uh (laughs) you know you gotta think of a way to make it interesting and you know toriyama's kind of half got the expectation that they're gonna fill in the gaps because obviously what he's written isn't enough to create a story on its own. And I, I felt that's kind of the, what happened with Resurrection F, the film, is that he wrote mm-hmm. this script, and he actually has sections where he deliberately says, you know, go wild. But right. it always feels like Toei Animation is holding 
back for fear of alienating him or just doing something that he wouldn't like. But no, no, you gotta, you gotta make it more. You gotta, you gotta do something with it, especially when he's giving you that opportunity. And we are getting more of a, a candid Toriyama. I feel like the, the candidness of Toriyama kind of, it's got an ebb and a flow to it. Seems like it started peaking uh, around the end of GT or mid GT, end of GT, and then kind of went away for a while and then came back full force post evolution and into Dragon Ball Super. I mean, Shueisha has published, I don't know if I want to call it negative comments from Toriyama regarding the creation of Dragon Ball, but when he says things like ticked me off and redid and those kinds of negative statements, I mean, that, like you said, that's a really tough position to be in. I I don't envy them, but something's got to give somewhere. Right. Uh, You know, it's it's interesting. I I don't think they allow him to be quite as candid as, say, Hayao Miyazaki, who has quite a few things to say about the <laughs> sure. industry in which he works, and and even the the way that other people work, but he's he's not always been that that uncritical of you know the series that is his ostensibly his own creation. So it's it's an interesting position to be put in, and you know there are times when I wish Toei Animation would you know not quite give as much ground to him mm. um or you know if he if he wants these other changes then come back and say well how about this don't just make those changes and then do nothing else you gotta make more of it and i, I felt at times that in spite of how they were dragging it out it felt still more like an outline than than a than a fleshed out story i think let's leave it there again you have Something like another half hour on top of everything you've already listened to. But I felt like adding more. I had time to add more and I wanted other other voices on the show. So here we go. Julian Dragon Ball Super has come to a close. Uh, Konzenshu continues onward. Uh, I'm going to be wrapping up the show momentarily. But any last thoughts from you about uh, the show or what you got going on? Um, well, uh, it's, it's a bit, um, bittersweet thinking that I might not actually be in Japan to see this movie like I was for the last two. I don't know. I still might, but it's a big, big question mark at this point. For those who don't know, my, I'm, I'm here in the U S working on a graduate degree while my wife and children are in Japan right now. And I've been going over there and then they're going to come over here this summer and a lot of logistical stuff going on. But, um, I'm certainly going to cover it in whatever way I can. There is stuff coming up with that mysterious tour, if there's much else to say about that until they reveal more information. It's going to be a busy year, that's for damn sure. We've yeah. got the movie, we've got the tour, we get all the regular stuff that we do anyway. So, Alright, so Julian, thank you very much. Uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks to Chris, thanks to Scott, thanks to AJ, thanks to Julian, uh, especially thanks to Scott for effectively moderating me after about two hours into our discussion. I hope you enjoyed everything you heard. Again, this is not the final word on Dragon Ball Super. There's so much more we could have said. It's just not possible, especially when you get us all together. We all want to focus on little things here and there, and then we miss these entire points over there, and then we get derailed as we talk about this. We want to get to that. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk more about it in the future, but uh, you know us here at Consenshu. Dragon Ball isn't going anywhere. It hasn't gone anywhere. There's so much old stuff that we're working on that we're uh, very excited to share with you. Uh, with lots of announcements, lots of news going on. Uh, we'll talk more about that in uh, the coming podcast episodes. I would say just head on over www.kanzenshuu.com. That is kanzenshu.com. You can read all about everything over there. I have been Mike Fujito EX. This has been one hell of a podcast episode. I will see you next time here on the show. Have a lovely day. We'll see you next time.
My Hero Academia is I, a, Excuse a, me, Boku no. <laughs> fuck off. Fuck off into oblivion and never come back. Why did we let you on this podcast? 